0: Hello everyone and welcome once again to Motos and Friends. My name is Arthur Coldwells. (laughs) Fair warning, this episode is a long one. We're packed with even more information and entertainment than usual this week. Anyway, in our first segment, editor Don Williams has just returned from Sardinia, Italy, where he was riding the new Suzuki V-Strom 800DE. This is the all-new, upper-middleweight ADV machine that features, among many other things, the new Suzuki 775cc parallel twin motor. This highly anticipated motorcycle from the big S has a lot of depth to talk about and Don reviews the bike completely, giving us his impressions both off pavement and on. Have you looked at the 2023 Suzuki Hayabusa yet? one of the most iconic sport bikes ever, it's faster and the most technologically advanced Hayabusa ever. Check it out in person at your local Suzuki dealer now or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more. Kat McLeod, owner of Leod Escapes, gets to chat with associate editor TJ Adams in our second segment. If you google hedonism, it doesn't actually mention Leod Escapes, but judging by Kat's description of some of his magical MotoGP track riding tours and the associated antics, Google really should include it. Can you think of any better way to spend two weeks than three days of riding a legendary MotoGP circuit while being coached by world superbike legend Troy Corsa? And then getting to tour the local spectacular area, all the while staying in upscale hotels and eating the best food. I'd say that pretty much fits the bill. Cat is a great storyteller and he doesn't hold back. You should probably be aware you should not have kids under 13 listening to this segment, so please be careful with that. As motorcycle people, we're often accused of being crazy. I say, "Eh, fair enough, we probably are. So, have a listen to Cat McLeod and go book yourself the trip of a lifetime. And no, we don't get paid anything to say that. We love your feedback. Please send us your comments and suggestions at producer at ultimate motorcycling.com. And if you like motos and friends, hit the subscribe button. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: It's the all new. 2023 suzuki v-strom 800 de which uh is truly all new i could probably talk for four hours on it because there's there's so many different things going on but i'll try to i'll try to keep myself under control here Uh, Uh, okay the, the first part that's most interesting is that it has a new engine and you know anytime one of the brands comes out with a brand new engine it's always exciting and in this case, it's a parallel twin. Uh, it's it's an architecture that we see all the time. It's the double overhead cam, four valves per cylinder, liquid cooled, you know, fuel injected. The, the the normal stuff you expect. And another thing that we're beginning to kind of expect now is also the 270 degree firing order. So it has that kind of pseudo V twin feel to it. Uh, so that's not an unusual setup, but it's it's something new for Suzuki. And it's also something new for the V Strom lineup. And I'll I'll answer one of the questions I get from people. And even I uh, opined about this when I first wrote about the, the V Strom 800 DE is that, well, how do you call it a V Strom? It's not a V, it's a P. And in P Strom, that's probably not the best name. And so I asked, <laughs> you're <Yeah. laughs> okay. just a couple of letters off from some really bad bad ones so i asked one of the suki engineers i said you know you call it a v-strom but it's not a v twin what's the story here and the japanese engineer looks at me and he says the v stands for versatile so Uh, all this time all this time all these years we have all thought that the v and v-strom mentioned you know related to the the V twin engine in the right. 650 and the 1000 and the 1050 but we were wrong all that time it was versatile and so i don't know if he made that up on the moment for the moment or whatever but, but that's okay because it is versatile both of those other the 650 and the 10 the 1000 1050 uh, th- th- those are all very versatile motorcycles and the V-Strom 800DE is also very versatile. Now, probably the first thing to talk about this motorcycle is how it fits into the V-Strom lineup. On the one end, you have the V-Strom 650, which has been around for thousands of years, I think. And uh, it's, you know, it it's a great bike. It's a small engine. And you think, well, that's kind of small, but when you use it, I could easily ride across the country on a V-Strom 650, no problem. It's got plenty of power. I wouldn't want to do it two up, but solo, no problem cruising at 80, 90 miles an hour all day long. Uh, The the 1000 that that then became called the 1050, even though they didn't change the the displacement, uh, the 1050 is just a bigger bike. It's not as good off-road as the 650. you know, all these bikes have the 17-19 the wheel combination, which is sort of, you know, it's adventure standard, not like a dirt bike, uh, but not the 17-17 street bike either. So you have those two bikes that are that are adventure-y, but still not highly dirt-oriented and, uh, you know, but great on the street and, again, super versatile. Uh, this, the V-Strom 650 is a cult classic of all time. I mean, people are really into that bike, and with good reason. Uh, Like I said, I I love it. Every time we have one, I love riding it. It's a cool bike, and the 1000 is good, not quite as good, uh, because part of it is because once you get into that 1000 range, you have a lot of good competition against that bike, whereas the 650 has a little bit less competition, so it, it really stands out, and also it's just lighter, easy to use, but still completely capable of doing whatever you want, so Okay, we've talked about the 650 and the and the 1050. V-Strom 800 DE. That's a completely new model that is Suzuki's entry into a more dirt-oriented approach. Uh, This one has the 17-inch rear wheel, uh, 21-inch front wheel, and tube-type tires with both wheels. So, okay, those are all. That's that's the real authentic off-road configuration of the wheels which is always a big deal and also the Showa suspension is the longest travel on any V-Strom so between the wheels being the the off-road size especially the 21 inch front and the uh, longer travel suspension you have what looks like a legitimate dirt bike uh, in the adventure world of course not compared to a real you know dirt bike so then the question always is with any kind of adventure bike well how dirt worthy is it like uh you know one extreme you have like the KTM uh 890 Super Adventure R uh, Ducati Desert X you know uh maybe the Aprilia Tuareg 660 much more dirt oriented bikes uh than we're used to in the adventure bike world and the Suzuki though is not that not designed to be that extreme of a dirt you know event a dirt adventure bike uh suzuki's big push and it took us took me a while to kind of figure out what they were in fact until i was riding the bike to understand what they were talking about Uh, they kept talking about gravel that was their big thing gravel the bike is for gravel and i'm like not quite sure what that means and of course like i said when i wrote it all became clear so they talk it does gravel this and they're so into the gravel that the the mode the what you would call an off-road mode for the uh uh, traction control is actually called g for gravel i mean they were somebody got gravel into their head and they were going to talk about gravel all all day long and they were explaining the bike to us but never quite explained what that meant and so now i can tell you what it means having ridden the bike okay what it means is is and this is always as an editor i'm always kind of juggling this around. We talk about off-road and even I was saying off-road now, but we're not really talking about off-road. This bike is designed for gravel roads. It's off pavement, but not off-road. You're not gonna go shooting off across the desert on it. You're not gonna go on a single track trail. You're not even gonna go like on a Jeep trail. It's for roads. So the bike is designed to go on gravel roads. Now that's still a wide range, of types of roads and we when we when i tested it i should say we, when i tested it i rode the bike on some pretty a pretty wide range of dirt roads and this is where it starts to get complicated talking about the bike and why i can go on literally for hours about it because <laughs> let, let me explain why <laughs> the main part of this is that all, there's all the different p- power modes and the fact that it does like let's say three different kind of levels of things It's a street bike on one hand. Then it's like this good hard packed dirt road type of bike. And then it's like a little bit more challenging dirt road type of bike. And it works differently in all three of those realms. And so I could write a full review of just each one of those. And then you add in the electronics package. Now, the electronics package is unusual because we're used to seeing you go on and you've got power mode and maybe it's like a ride mode depending on the bike, but power mode. And so you just pick, you know, uh, sport, touring, and rain. (laughs) Those are kind of the three typical ones you get. In this case, Suzuki doesn't have any specific power mode. Instead, they break down the power mode in what would be the power mode into three different things. You have a traction control, throttle response, and ABS. So those all are, you set those all independently. You can't just, you know, you can't move them all at the same time as you would with a normal, you know, different power mode. Now, the upside is, is that you can fine tune exactly what you want. the downside is, if you move from street to dirt, you have to change three different settings if you really want to get it right. And uh, I'm going to, I squawked at Suzuki that they should have a, a, a way to save, you know, custom settings you know, groups of settings so that you could just you know go here's my road here's the one my, my road mode here's my off-road mode and here's my rain mode and i can just click between those and then if i needed to make an adjustment beyond that i could but at least i wouldn't have to move all three of these parameters every time i go from street to dirt i can just hit a button and change them so that's the one disadvantage to the customization and that personalization you can make which makes a big difference and so you know, as, as, as I was saying, so I could write these three different reviews of the bike on these three different kinds of terrain. I could then write different reviews based on just the different settings in each one. Uh, in ABS, you have the off, <laughs> funny, they have off, they call it ABS off, but it's not actually off. Uh, it's rear wheel only off, front wheel always on. And that's, you know, a, a, a Euro thing and that's okay. I mean, I'm on an adventure bike, I don't need to skid the front wheel ever. So the fact that they have the ABS on is great. Uh, and the front is is, is fine. There's no, no, there's no issue with that. And it's not particularly aggressive and it wasn't much of a problem. Uh, so on the, so you have the off for the ABS and then you have levels one and two, just one and two, <laughs> You know <laughs> they don't even try to tell you what they are, but obviously two oh, is right. more, more intrusive than one. Although I switched between them and on, you know, I didn't use it off road because off road i used off so on the road i used one and two back and forth and i I, you know i just wasn't using a rear brake hard enough in general to have that be an issue you know and i i I rarely activate the abs on the front brake i have just a good feel in general and i i'm not somebody who feels comfortable testing ab the front abs by just pulling it as hard as i can and saying oh well it'll save me because if it doesn't i'll be an unhappy person and especially when i'm in a foreign country like like italy so (laughs) uh suffice to say whether you put the 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 abs in one or two off uh, on pavement it's not going to really matter that much and if you're going to go off the pavement you want to turn it quote off which means you know front wheel only so there's your abs spiel (laughs) then then you have three then this is more traditional uh power modes and uh, they're, they're like throttle response modes, really. And it's funny. They have one, two, and three or one and two for traction control and ABS, but for the power, they have ABC. <laughs> so there's a lot of kind of odd nomenclature with the bike. So you have a, which is the most powerful mode B, which they call basic, which is the medium throttle response. And then C is the rain, thr- you know, rain type, low, low traction throttle response, uh, so for me, kind of going through each one of those in general, you know, how I group these when I talk about everything in the reviews, like, well, do I talk about how it works in the dirt only? And then run through each one of the settings there. It's, it's a it's a complicated motorcycle to talk about and explain, but just kind of this time I'm feeling like going through the different, uh, you know, things on the dash first to give you kind of an idea of what it does. Uh, so you have the A, B, and C. Uh, a is not... You know, it's, it's an 800 twin, it's a 270 degree firing order. It's not like the super snappy throttle response, even in, in the most aggressive one in the A. Uh, B is not slow, but it's noticeably different than A. I mean, there's definitely a clear difference and it wasn't raining where I was. And, you know, I, I popped it in C one time and it, you know, it's slow <laughs> and it's meant to be slow. So uh, you do have three different throttle response settings that are considerably different very distinct and you know you can use whichever ones you need for the situation i'll get into that the street and dirt and how that works in each one and then you have the traction control and then that has off so you can just turn the traction control completely off if you like then you have level one and level two and again on pavement one and two and it really wasn't that much difference. I mean, again, you're not spinning up the rear wheel on the pavement with this 800cc. was not even 800cc, it's 775cc. The 775cc motor is not going to be lighting up the rear wheel all the time. I and mean, you're not just riding it in that way. It's it's an adventure bike. It's not a, a super sport bike. So, you know, I, I, when I had it even in two, the most intrusive one, I wasn't seeing the traction control light going on very often. You know, so it wasn't you know, it's not that huge of a difference. So then you have off one and two, and then you have G, which is, so you have off gravel. one, two, and G. And G is the gravel mode, which sure. is which is the off-road mode. And that's that's kind of the magic mode that I think they put a lot of work into that. What it allows you to do is really spin up the rear wheel pretty significantly in the dirt but it will stop the rear wheel from spinning just wildly out of control in in you know some loose conditions and i'm talking about really loose like
0: it sounds awesome uh, actually
1: yeah like sandy rocky stuff uh, this was like it was gravelly but kind of rocky tough gravel when you when I, I you know i tried it with it off the you know and when it did the, the tires on it are these uh dunlop trailmax mixed tour <laughs> it's a great name trailmax mixed tour anyway they uh they're not as dirt worthy as the rest of the bike is designed it's one of those things where suzuki couldn't quite say let's go with you know one of the really you know aggressive off-road tires like a pirelli mt21 rally cross they said well we're still going to go with that kind of street oriented big block you know just it's kind of like a street tire with bigger sipes so it's it was kind of disappointing because I wasn't able to ride it as hard off pavement as I would have liked, especially as it got rougher, because the tires just aren't there. You know, they're, as I'll mention in a minute, they're good in some situations off pavement, but the rougher it gets, the looser it gets, the worse the tires feel. And so anyway, in the off, with the traction control off, the tires are kind of, the rear tire is kind of useless if you're riding aggressively because it just spins up all the time. You put the gravel mode in, it still spins up, but there's kind of just a little bit, you know, stop, it'll just stop it a little bit, very, very inobtrusively. Like, it's not like you notice it going, blah, 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 blah or anything. It just, it's just, the, the traction control, Well, what, what it does is it has the traction control, which is about the spinning, but also it retards the ignition to change the power so that it's a very... Uh kind of two-pronged attack on you know it's not just the ignition uh cutting out but it's also retarding so it gives a little bit more traction and it really works i was really really impressed with with the g mode i mean once i got you know i ran through each one i didn't even try the the one and two traction control because what's the point that's that's for the street so as i was in the off pay, you know off pavement on those roads you know that G really works. Uh, if you just want to drift the rear wheel back and forth, go ahead and turn it off and you can do that and the thing will spin up all the time and throw rocks and it's fun. But if you really want to ride more aggressively and effectively, that g mode they they nailed it. It's great and it's it's really impressive, very clever, uh, cool thing, and it it's kind of what makes the bike for me it kind of reminds me of the KTM 1290, uh, super adventure R, they have an off-road mode and then they have a rally mode and the rally mode on that is just a million times better than the off-road mode for whatever reason. And the rally mode is really great and has adjustable seven level traction control, which seems ridiculous until you start to, they make it easy to switch on the fly. So it works. So that's a much more sophisticated system than what's on the Suzuki V-Strom 800 DE, but it's the same kind of concept that, that. They really got it. Traction control is something relatively new to off pavement riding, and so you know it's still kind of in its infancy. And this is a great, you know, first step from Suzuki at trying to to make that work, and it's great. Okay starting with like the easiest roads, the real hard packed dirt roads that are, you know, that you could take a street bike on, but you wouldn't want to take a street bike on it because there's going to be little rocks and stuff that would pit up the, you know, pit the engine and the exhaust and, and so, you know, you could do it, but you wouldn't want to do it. And in this case, on this bike, it's great. And the the tires, the uh, Trail Max Mix Tours, just kind of like saying that because it sounds so funny, uh, those are great. And on some of the really hard pack, I found myself like going through S's in the dirt, you know, or off pavement. And I was like starting to lean the bike over, like I was on a, on the street. And I did it a couple of times. I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm on the dirt. I shouldn't be yeah, riding it like this. I should be steering with the rear wheel, not leaning it over. But wow. it, it was sticking. And I'm like, wow, oh, no, this is great. And that was my first the opening forays in, in the in the dirt, were on roads like that. I was like, man, this, these tires are cool. And, and although I knew that eventually they, you know, you just look at them, you can tell that they're not going to be, they're not knobbies. And but right. I'm, on this other stuff, it's like, wow, I can lean it over, and you know, this is great. And so they were good. And you in the G mode, you could light up the rear wheel if you wanted, but you didn't. You know, it didn't automatically do that. And so there's good traction. Uh, the front end always an issue for me on adventure bikes, uh, because of all that weight, you know, it, it wants to go in a straight line. Is it going to change direction? You're asking a lot of a little skinny 21 inch, uh, tire. Uh, it, it did well. And so I'm like, okay, I can turn on this bike. Then we, uh, got into a little rougher stuff and it still felt good. Uh, not as good. And one of the things in the, on the Sardinian, uh, Unpaved roads, which are basically farmer roads or rancher roads up in the hills. Uh, you have the paved roads kind of around the perimeter and between the big cities, but everything else is is dirt. So if you're an adventure guy, Sardinia is a really cool place to go because there are a lot of dirt roads and, and they're of varying difficulty, and some of them have incredible views of the ocean, and it's it's cool. So, uh, but they're not maintained <laughs> very well. And in some cases, on even the best of the you know, high-traction uh, dirt roads, they had huge potholes. I mean, big like, let's say a square foot, maybe a little bit larger than that, something you know that's really deep, so if you, you, know, you could hit it. And every time I hit one, I was thinking, "Man, I'm going I'm going to bottom out this rear suspension." I never did. It just always sucked it up. It wasn't like great action. Like you go, wow, the suspension is like magic. Oh, it's so soft and plush and it just sucks it up. And I don't even notice. You notice. And it's, it's, I don't want to say a crude action, but it's not super sophisticated, but it doesn't bottom out and it doesn't kick. You know, it has good rebound damping. So it doesn't go, you know, spring up and it's not overly damp. So it just thuds in and then bounces off from that. And uh, the, compression is about right and so it has really the bike has really good suspension within the re- realm of the reality of what an average guy is going to ride uh, in a, a venture bike you know if you want to ride it like a, a race bike you're going to think the suspension's not you know not that great but you, bu- you bought the wrong bike if you if you were <laughs> looking for that you know so don't right. Yeah, right. yeah don't worry about that for the average guy riding around on these dirt roads and checking out the shepherds and their sheep flocks going around, and but then hitting one of these or ten of these potholes in a row, it just gets the job done. It doesn't beat the rider to death. Uh, and it it sucks them up. It doesn't you know dislodge the chassis, so you're going flying all over the place. it's It's good. And interestingly, as you got into the as I got into the uh, rougher roads, those giant potholes disappeared (laughs) there was something to do with you know the what traffic or how it is or how they're built or whatever so then it's more like a dirt road like a fire road kind of thing with it's looser and uh but because it's the winter time there had been rain there's there was some rain ruts and that that's a challenge for any motorcycle you know rain ruts and rocks and dirt but uh And especially when you have a bike that weighs just over 500 pounds, that's that all kind of adds up. But it was good going through the rain ruts. And if you hit, you know, you had to hit one at a diagonal, you know, a really steep angle, you could see the front end go over and put you through. The suspension would suck it up nicely. So it was, it works really well on those moderate dirt roads. Uh, Again, the gravel mode is just great. dial on the throttle, you get on the gas and it's going to maybe spin up a bit but it's going to still give you more forward motion than spin. And you get okay. used to it and it's just like, wow, this is great. you know, you can be more aggressive with the throttle and not have problems. Now, one part of the road I went on, one of, one of the roads I went on was really rough. <laughs> it was, you know, much bigger rocks, much looser, deeper dirt and it was kind of steep in places. And it was just, the bike had met its match. This was this was past gravel and into like, uh, not quite four wheel drive, maybe four wheel drive terrain. you know, right on the border. Like if I took a truck up there with two wheel drive, well, I probably could make it. But there'd be a couple of places where I might start spinning and wishing I had four wheel drive. So although it wasn't like big, like bouldery type rocks or any kind of, you know, that kind of terrain, it was still loose and, and steep and, rocky and tricky enough and rain ready enough it it would be more of a challenge in a, a two-wheel drive truck than most people would want to take on and so uh, that kind of was also the the limit of the the vstrom 800 de so it, it, the bike has now revealed itself to me and i really love that you know i have a bike It's like, okay hey, what's it gonna do how's it gonna, how's it gonna work and what's what am i gonna think about it and then I ride it, and then it's like, oh, okay. Now I get what they're talking about gravel. It's for improved dirt roads, including gravel roads, but it's not ready for like unimproved dirt roads or four by four trails or anything like that. Okay. So that's that's where they've slotted the 800 de. It's uh, I don't want to say a beginner off pavement. <laughs> you know, it's not. It it's more than the 17, 19 inch crowd. But not like the high, highest performance, even like a Yamaha Tenere 700 or the KTM's Husqvarna. It's not up in there, but it's still pretty good, and it's it's as much as most people are going to want to go on an adventure bike. It's a 500-pound motorcycle, and so you just have to respect that. And it's got a you know an 800 c- 775 cc engine. There's some people that will go anywhere and they'll do anything. And you've seen a lot of those have seen the videos of Paul Tares on the uh, Tenere 700 doing insane stuff that you wouldn't do on a trials bike. And so, yeah, there's people who who have incredible amounts of skill. But th- what the average guy is going to do on an off road or off pavement on an adventure bike, the vstrom 800DE really will handle it quite well. and at the end of all the testing and riding off pavement, I was just really wishing that it had different tires because that was the big limitation kind of, except for when I was doing the slaloming, slaloming, <laughs> slaloming, <laughs> can't even say the word, through the S's where it was really high traction dirt, but still high traction, uh, those tires were great there, but you know, the, just the more rougher and the more loose it got, more I was like man I'd like to see how this bike actually works with legit off-road tires and it might be one of those things where well yeah it works better but then you start to notice more that the suspension is not as good as you thought because now all of a sudden you can go faster and you go harder and do more things and uh so maybe the tires are a good kind of reminder to you that there are the, the here's the limitations of where you want to go on this motorcycle if if you're exceeding what these tires can do then you're kind of exceeding the chassis and and everything else
0: uh it's it's it, it, it's, a, it's it sounds like a great fire road you know as you say off pavement kind of kind of thing yeah And there's lots of pictures of, of you on road and and that it looks like it's the typical v-strom nice handling really really interesting nice comfortable bike to ride and if you go off pavement where the road is really bad or it's you know just full of potholes and nasty stuff or if it's even completely no asphalt at all then it sounds like the bike works really well
1: once you get into four by four territory somewhere where you need a four by four that starts to exceed the capabilities of the bike as delivered if you if you put different tires on it you would extend it farther into the world of of off-road and it, like right. i said it'd be, it'd be fun to try it but in stock condition you know it will go anywhere you would take a two-wheel drive truck a 4 by four truck you'd
0: start to go oh, i don't know if i want to do that it looks to me like a good adventure kind of bike i mean right looking at, looking at the pictures of the kind of road surfaces you're on you know there's definitely a lot of gravel and it looks great. It looks like you're really having fun. I mean, you're sort of clearly spinning up the tire. Oh, it yeah. Like it works really well. So within that context, you've, you really liked it and you thought it was pretty good? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, up to that level, you, you know, like I said, that
1: four by four level, it's, it's a great, great ride. Uh, I, it's, going back to the power modes for a moment, i kind of switched between A and B. Uh, the more technical it got, the trickier it got, and the lower the speeds I was going, I drop it into B. Uh, on the better roads, A it was great and you know gave you that thr- snappy throttle response, let you you know break loose the rear tire, just have fun, you know if you wanted to. If you just wanted to be more sightseeing, B would be the way to go, and maybe even C if you're really you know just being casual and don't want to have any sort of you know, attack, but but B's, B would be fine for most people. But A, A was definitely usable, even on the roughest, I used A, but it's just spun up more. It was harder to, you know, just keep full control over the bike is easily. Uh, but on the other hand, if you like that spinning the tire and doing that, then you want a day, you know, <laughs> so, right. and I'm, I'm kind of both guys. I mean, sometimes I, I just want to cruise along and look at the ocean and look at the sheep and look at the old uh, farmhouses and other times I want to go fast. And so I can do either. And that's, that's a great, that's a great thing. And, and, and that's part of the magic of all the electronics is that you can do this, but off-road, you really do talk about, you know, it's really, you put in gravel mode, You put in the off ABS, which is front wheel only. And then you just kind of switch between A and B as as you see fit or how your mood is. And uh, all the switching, by the way, is done. There's a TFT screen. All the letters and numbers are big. Uh, The only thing you have to remember is that you can't change any of the parameters if one of the other parameters is doing something. Like If you're on the brakes and the ABS is working, you can't adjust the traction control if the tr- if you're on the gas and the traction control is working you know you can't you know you can't change anything else so you, you, you have to have the throttle off feed off the brakes and just you know to change things you don't have to stop and and to change abs is kind of cumbersome because you have to hold the button down for a few seconds until it blinks and then still while keeping everything off you know flipping around between it or you can just stop the bike but you don't have to stop the bike uh it's it's okay. it's it's a Pretty really good system. It's I'll even say maybe very good. It's not awesome, but it, it it all works pretty good. To you know, there's a the button on the is there's two like a, a rocker switch and then a button for your left thumb and they're big and so even no matter what gloves you got on you can easily operate it and it's easy to see on the on the TFT dash. So okay, that's my off road po- that's my off road portion of this review. Let's move on now <laughs> to the street. Right. I'm looking forward to hearing about the engine and and the gearbox and... Right. Well, it's kind of anticlimactic in a way. Uh, somebody else asked me okay. about that. And I, the mo- motors these days in bikes are pretty similar, it, you know, when you, excluding like a super bike or super motor, so, you know, the kind of special use bikes. But the kind of average bikes that we see, the upright sport bikes, adventure bikes, they all have a very flat torque curve, And a very linear horsepower chart. They all kind of do it the same way. Nobody has these weird humps and you know, well, no torque, and then lots of torque over here, or torque really the low end, and then it just all drops. Very flat torque curve, very linear power. And you, in a way, and this one of those things is is really how our jobs have evolved over the years, is that. You know, somebody said, well, I didn't hear enough from you in the in the print version, the character of the engine. And it's like, well, there is no character of the engine. You know, right. it, it's it's kind of this flat torque curve, smooth horsepower uh, curve and dynamic curve. And then you have the different power modes and the different power modes change the character of the engine. So exactly. And, and, and not only just the power modes, but also the traction control. So however you set up the traction control, so you have all these different possible characters of the engine, (laughs) but suffice to say, if you like go on the street, let's say you turn the traction control off or put it on one, let's say, and you put in a, you know, it's a sporty motor and that's in in this 500 pound guys. We're all, you know, everybody's waiting to see how it's going to work in that new GSX 8S, which is a naked upright sport bike version of this bike. And it's going to have the same motor, and, uh, you know, from what I experienced on the, the heavier, you know, V-Strom uh, that this motor is going to be really fun to ride on a, on a sport bike. But yeah, like you said, the character, the character is, is, is very, I'll just say generic. Uh, it's not even in a bad way because it's just the way thing the, you know, we used to talk about the universal Japanese motor, the UJM, the inline four, blah, 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 blah. This is kind of how motors have, have evolved now is like flat torque curve, you know, linear power, horsepower curve. And so that's what you get. And it just makes it the bike super easy to ride. Uh, and then they add the adjustability of the throttle response to give it, you know, the kind of char- character that you want. The better traction control can kind of cut back on the power a tiny bit, you know. So uh, the motor is just completely intuitive. You twist the throttle, it does exactly what you think it's going to, you know, if, if you ridden it for like two minutes. You get how it works. It's going to work exactly that way. And it does its thing. And it's, that 270 degree fire and iron gives it that little firing order, gives it that little thump, 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 thumpy kind of feel, which is good, good for finding traction off road. And even on the uh, uh, pavement, it's still, you know, it feels good and it just kind of, it, it feels torquey. You know, I don't know that it necessarily is torquier, but it kind of has that feel and it and it and uh, it feels good. So the motor is not something revolutionary. It it has a sure. couple of it has a couple of power uh, counterbalancers, and Suzuki makes a big deal about how one of them smaller than normal, and it made the engine more compact, which is all great. And that's kind of like an engineering esoterica in a way for me. Uh, how big the engine is physically, you know, isn't, they're always talking about millimeters here and there. And it's not like it's a foot longer or something, you know. It, right. So, It's like, okay, it's a little bit more compact and they could do a little bit more things about where they position it in the frame and stuff. And that's great. And those are all important. But as far as the functionality of it, uh, the bike starts to get a little buzzy about halfway. The red lines, I think 9,500 RPM, about about from 5,000 up, you start to feel some buzz through the foot pegs uh, just a bit. But you're not usually going to be riding it in that zone. Um, you know, because it's an adventure bike, you're you're riding, you're touring around, you're looking at all. Oh, wow. Look at the cliffs over there. Look at this. Look at that. You're not like, Mm-mm. now how that plays out on the upcoming 8S that will, you know, that will be more interesting because that's a bike that you're going to run in a higher rev range, but for the V-Strom, it was fine. And, you know, the bike that has enough power to zip up over hundred miles an hour. No, no issue. You know, if I did a couple of times passing cars, that thing, you know, gets up and go. It's not a leader bike by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not a slug at all. Especially if you're an A, it's, it's, it, it, it will, it's got the power to pass and it, it feels good. So that's where the motor is. So, you know, I mean, everybody's excited about the new motor, but you know, it just does what it's supposed to do. And that's not, doesn't sound exciting, but it's not a bad thing either. You know, it's, it has it has a job and it fulfills its job. And anybody that has this motorcycle, well, yeah, this motor does what I wanted it to do, and that's good. And that's all you can expect from anything. But it's not, it's not a fire-breathing dragon or anything. It's, you know, it's a parallel twin 775. So okay. Uh, okay. So on the street, you know, you can go to good clip. Uh, the tires that were you know, I complained about not being dirt-worthy enough are great on the street. You know, you can lean the bike way over. Uh, It feels good, even with the 21-inch front wheel. Uh, Sometimes some bikes, you know, this is where if you had the Pirelli rally crosses on there, you'd be like, that front wheel is kind of narrow. (laughs) There's not a lot of rubber on the road, you know. But (laughs) but with these, you're like, oh, yeah, it feels good, you know. And again, you're in that adventure mode. You're in the adventure bike. You're sitting up. You're not pushing it like a sport bike. The way this bike is, the 21-inch wheel is not a problem with those tires. Works great. Uh, I rode along the Southern coast of Sardinia, which is very tight. And uh, I recommend anybody that wants to go to Sardinia, go on the off season. Incredible views, super good pavement, smooth, high traction. There were almost no cars. I mean, we'd see cars once every 10 minutes or whatever. However, I was told that if you go there in the summertime, it's bumper to bumper. (laughs) <laughs> so don't go in the summertime because, uh, you know, it's just going to be, it's you're just going to be miserable. The d- downside of going in the wintertime is that uh, the resorts, a lot of them are closed, but it's it's a cool place to ride. Uh, you know, it, the weather was, uh, it's funny, I I went and I brought all this Tourmaster gear with all the, I had base layers. So the temperatures looked like they were going to be in the 50s and, you know, in the 50s. I was like, oh, man, we kind of cold for Southern California boy. And so I had the base layers. I got the, the liner, got the waterproof thing, even though it wasn't supposed to rain. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to be warm. Well, that temperature, there's not a lot of temperature or uh, weather gauges in Sardinia. So the one I got was for like a place like 50 miles away and over where I was in Kia, in which it, it's spelled C-H-I-A. So you think Chia like a Chia pet, but it's actually pronounced Chia. That area was actually pretty warm and as you went in inland and got into the mountains even though you're going up in altitude it was warm so i ended up taking you know all the base layers off all the all the uh, uh nice. the warmth layer and i was just wearing the jacket alone in like a long sleeve shirt and I was, I was fine so the weather there was you know for february was great and it's a really cool place to ride and uh i will tell you a funny story that has nothing to do with motorcycles a place I stopped to eat was at, uh, just some little village, and they had a place to eat, a pizzeria, but it wasn't just pizza. And I had food, and it was good. It was great, I should say. You know, it's so cool. You know, I mean, it, you're excited. You know, you're in Italy. You're eating Italian food from made by Italian people, and they don't speak English, really. <laughs> and so, you know, right. you know you're getting the authentic experience. And that's, to me, what anytime you travel, you want the authentic experience. You don't want the Americanized version of anything. So. Uh, you know, whatever I had, I don't even remember what it was, but it was great. So afterwards, uh, my sister said, "Hey, get our dad some olive oil. You know, he likes really good olive, local olive oil." And I'm like, "Where I was staying, there was no grocery stores around, so I told her I don't think I'm gonna be able to do that. But let me, let me give it a try. If I see something, to whatever, I'll do it." So I'm, so I'm eating there, and then when I go to the back to, go to the bathroom, I see a bunch of stuff on display, like maybe it's for sale, and so I try to explain to them, like, "I'd like to buy some." of your olive oil, and they kind of didn't understand what I was saying, and somehow, I guess, it, it got came to them that I wanted to buy their olive oil, and apparently, a lot of these little restaurants and stuff make their own olive oil, like, each place has, you know, a little recipe in the way they do it, and these guys were no exception, so I, uh, I explained to them what I wanted, and they said, okay, and so this guy comes back out with this plastic bottle filled up with some label on it and i'm like looking at the label it's in italian i have no idea what it says and so i hand the girl my credit card and she rings it up doesn't say how much it costs doesn't give me a receipt i'm like okay whatever you know so i take it and i take it home and i take a picture and send it to another friend of mine uh her daughter's going to school in italy and so she speaks some italian and i said uh what is this what is this that I bought? And she says, well, that's a water bottle. And I'm like, <laughs> but she goes, but the color of what's in it is olive oil. So that's olive oil in there. And, you know, I, I could tell by the consistency of it that it wasn't water and the color. And, and uh-huh. I, so we figured out that they just like went in the back and just grabbed whatever bottle they could find and just poured <laughs> some of their olive oil into it, screwed the cap <sighs> on and handed it to me. So, uh, Anyway, I got home and I looked at my credit card, uh, you know, online. It was it's 10 euros. So that's not bad. You know, yeah. they, they didn't okay. like it wasn't like 100 euros or some crazy thing, you know. Right. So it was only 10 euros. And so I got, you know, a nice big bottle of of homemade olive oil from my dad so that I'll be a big hero for that. Even though you're giving it to him in a water bottle. Yeah, I'm giving it to him in a plastic water bottle. But that's you know uh, uh, uh. part of the part of the experience of traveling. So anyway, back back to and so I'm driving these roads. the The interior roads are not as twisty, obviously. Although there were some twisty mountain roads, paved mountain roads is, is the ones along the coast. The ones along the coast are definitely twisty. Go inside, and so the the bike handles that really well uh, on the straighter parts. And there aren't a lot of like pure straight parts. You know, it can haul butt when you need it to and like i said i i hit 110 i think you know passing the car so uh it'll it'll get up and go and suzuki probably didn't see me do that so if you're a suzuki listening i didn't really do that i'm just making that up so <laughs> it'll go it'll you know it'll go 110 just to go you know like i need to go and oh and that brings up one thing i'm surprised i haven't mentioned yet and i know one of your favorite things it has a quick shifter nice bi-directional Yes, of course. That's it's. Oh, look at I'm just looking at my calendar here. It's 2023. They're almost all that way now. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not bi-directional, we'll mention it. But otherwise, you know, it goes both ways. And right. So, it's it's kind of the same thing as we've seen before on quick shifters. Quick shifters are happiest on four-cylinder and six-cylinder machines. Uh, it must must be to have to do with how often there's a you know something's firing. And as you get into the twins, they can get a little rough. You know, I don't think I, I'm trying to think if there's even a, there must be, probably the KTM 690 is a single with it, you know, but generally, you know, the twins don't shift as smoothly with a quick shifter as a, a inline four does, or even a triple. So, or just longer gaps between firing, I think is part of what it is. And sure. so, uh, but it was good, and basically with the quick the quick shifter, what I, the faster, the harder you're riding, the higher you're spinning the engine up, the smoother it works. You know, right. at lower speeds, it's not as smooth. Uh, it's a great thing in the dirt. I love quick shifters off-road and uh, off-pavement. Uh, you just, you, you know, especially if you're in a challenging spot where you're kind of trying to go up a hill or you're getting into rough terrain, you need to either shift up, usually shift up, but sometimes shift down. You don't wanna relinquish full control over the grips. You know, you don't want your, want your left hand reaching out to play with the clutch. You can just keep your hands on the grips. So you're in control as the bikes going through the rough dirt or what, you know, rough road, and you can just shift as needed. And that's a great thing. On the pavement, you know, we don't have to sell anybody on quick shifter. It's great, you know? And, and I see that as somebody who is a little late to the quick shifter appreciation society. I, you know, I first I, was, eh, I don't need that, and but <laughs> the once you start getting used to it, you go oh yeah, and then when you don't have it, oh what what does that have the quick shifter? What's going on here? You know, <laughs> all, all of a sudden you have this righteous indignation over something you didn't care about a few years earlier. <laughs> the quick shifter's good, you know, it's as good as it's probably going to get for a twin, and again. The more aggressive you are, the better it works. Uh, the if you're just cruising around town, it's kind of clunky, and maybe you might as well just use the clutch. The slipper system helps off pavement too. Uh, you know. Oh, really? When okay. you're shifting down, you know you don't really want the rear wheel locking up, so no. this will help you off road. You know, I'm surprised dirt bikes don't have it, but uh, you know somebody could probably explain to me why not. But I. I like it you know maybe a race bike wouldn't but on a regular riding it'd be great and uh then it has the assist function so the the clutch pull is light and so if you're if you if you're using the bike as a commuter you're riding around town you know your hand isn't going to get worn out so okay. you know if you do have to use the clutch it's not like oh i gotta use the clutch you know we're all spoiled now right oh i have to use the clutch to shift i can't believe this is happening <laughs> you know? but but quick shifters are great and and this one gets the job done so for like touring like on the higher speeds uh, another thing that suzuki kind of there's there's a few things that they fell down on and one of them was the windscreen now come on guys i don't have i don't want to have to get my tools out to change the height of the windscreen that just kind of defeats the purpose you know right it's like you, you want to be able to flick a lever or grab the thing and jerk it, you know, and have it go up to another notch or two. You, you don't want to have to get off the bike and, and change and, and pull, you know, some screws out and then reposition it and screw it back in. That's just almost worthless. You know, that's just like saying, well, we just have two different windscreen heights and you can buy one, you know, because nobody's going <coughs> to ride around and change it. You know what I mean? They're going to have it probably the lower one. I don't know. Depends on what you're doing. And I just wrote it the lower one because I, you know, didn't have time to go running around playing with that, but I'm somebody who likes adjustable windscreens and uses them a lot. I mean, I'm not asking for, I'm not being such a prima Donna that, Hey, I need to have an electric windscreen adjustment on this bike. It's an 800. Okay. It's, it's not a super expensive bike. It's $11,349. I think, uh, you know, I want to be able to adjust it, you know, so if I'm going in at high speeds on the freeways, I can put it in that position, I'm good, and then I go off road, and I, need to, I need to drop it down, I can do that, and or if I'm in town, and I can just do it quickly, a uh, lever's even better, we just push the lever, just two positions, that's fine, doesn't have to be a lot, I'm not that demanding, but tools, come on guys, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't get that, so brakes are pretty good, Uh, they have they have a, they have a tough job in any time an adventure bike, you know, you have to have brakes that are not too aggressive because in the dirt, they'll just be overly, they'll just be too much, especially right. with, with these kind of streetish tires, it would be locking things up all the time. So then when you get to the street, you kind of go, well, there's a lot of feel here, but not a lot of power, but you, you know, you have to be more aggressive with them. But again, you know, it's an adventure bike. You're not a sport bike, just be riding around. It's cool. Brakes work fine for that. They're not like the greatest brakes in the world. They're not radial mounted or anything like that, but they're they're fine. And uh, they, like I said, they have a, a multi-purpose or multi-dimensional job to do. So it's hard to, you know, make a, a a setup that works great
0: everywhere. On this kind of bike, I'd rather have feel than power. Yeah, yeah,
1: I agree. Because you're not going to ride it. You shouldn't be riding it that hard. If you are, buy a different motorcycle. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, ergonomics are great bike sits you know it's just really comfortable to sit on Uh, when you're standing up off pavement in the dirt it's a little wide but not too wide you know Uh, like the ktm 1290 super adventure r that i've been riding lately it's really narrow and it's a 1290 but it's a it's a v-twin so it can be a little bit narrow but that has really narrow ergonomics this bike is not as narrow as that but Again, this isn't as, gre- as aggressive an off-road vehicle. So it's it's fine. Uh, the foot pegs are not as big as I'd like. The They have the rubber inserts. Uh, I don't know if you can take those out and then you have just like a a, a, a steel peg. Uh, the rubber inserts, if you get them wet, they're, it's like you poured that olive oil I bought on them. They are the slipperiest. They're okay, they're okay dry. They have good traction, even though the like I said, the foot peg just the platform of is isn't as big as I'd like. And I, I'm somebody who likes big pegs off the road. I like to have a, a good platform for my feet. And these pegs, though not small, they're not big either. And so they're okay.
0: They look to me like they're aimed mainly at the road, at the street rider. Yeah. And so a lot of a lot of V-stroms are not going to see any kind of off-pavement activity at all or, or minimal. Right. And so these pegs look like they're gonna be fine for it, but but they are removable. I mean, you can clearly see that you just undo a knot and you, you pull the rubber insert off. So okay, yeah, there's a bunch of people are gonna do that. I mean, great. At least yeah. I mean so you have tried to sort of cover the bases for both kinds of rides and right, but, but, but it sounds like the aftermarket is gonna have a bit of a heyday with that. So great, good stuff.
1: Yeah, you definitely wanna stay away from water with those pegs because I mean they were really slippery. I mean, my feet went flying off. And yeah. uh you know, that's not good. <laughs> that is not. A yeah, bit of a shin hanger, yeah. okay. I mean, but even if you were on the street, if it was raining, you know, your feet, it's going to be slippery. So they they could have had, you know, if they can make tires that you can like lean way over, you know, yeah. in, in in the rain, which they do, then they should be able to put that kind of rubber on a, the foot peg. So that it's right. got like killer traction, even in the wet. But it didn't so yeah. okay anyway i think i've covered pretty much all the bases uh you know yeah. again it, it's all about positioning motors any motorcycles about positioning itself and, and it revealing to me who it is and i like i said at the beginning that's something i really like i really especially on a bike like this where it's all new you know and you have kind of expectations based on you know a spec sheet or how it looks, but then there's nothing like riding it. It really is truly nothing like riding it. Whenever anybody starts pontificating on internet and say, oh, and I'll say, did you ride the motorcycle? And then that always ends the conversation because of course they didn't. And they just think that they know it all from reading a spec sheet and you don't. And so uh, this bike showed where its limitations are off pavement and they it still leaves a wide range for riders to go and enjoy it uh and again if you threw different tires on it would make it even wider range you could go uh it's a street bike it's great adventure bikes are great street bikes you know i think kind of under and probably not underrated anymore everybody kind of gets that but uh you know because they got great cornering clearance uh good engines greater ergonomics and uh it's a great street bike I, you could ride it you know again if i threw some bags on it somebody said hey i'll meet you in tallahassee i'd say okay let's go and it, you right. know i could happily ride across the country i mean i wouldn't want to drone on the freeway probably the whole way but you know it will go on it goes on the freeway it has plenty of power the, the buzz of the engine might get to you a little bit after a while but it's still a a, a great you know all around adventure bike although this one Kind of, you know, it, it focuses on the street. Still, it it has a big enough bandwidth off pavement that you can go and do a lot of things with it. A lot of go a lot of places. Most most places that you would want to go, or most reason would be reasonably expect to be able to go on it. The 800 DE kind of has its own niche. Okay, you know, it's it's I think a little bit more street worthy than the Tenere 700 because it's got a bigger engine. And it's just kind of oriented that way so you know okay. if somebody's saying well if they're being realistic you yeah, know probably and saying yeah you know i really are i'm not really not i'd like to think i'm going to go do a bunch of off pavement stuff but i'm probably not you know then they would kind of could gravitate towards the 800 because you know you just got a little bit more power you know just bigger bike you know as with any kind of motorcycle purchase that people are making it, it really helps to be realistic about who they are, what they want to do, and what the motorcycle they want actually is best at. So, uh, you know, it's it's got a good price. Uh, if they could have brought it at the same price as the Tenere 700, they'd be doing really good. But it is an 800 rather than a 700, so there's always going to be a, a bit of a premium for that. So, but you know, it doesn't have a lot of competition. It has its kind of its own spot, and so okay. that's good. Right. And uh, uh, I'm. I really like what Suzuki did. I think that the people who were developing the bike and thinking about how do we position this in a way that gives it its own little lane, as people say. <laughs> and, right. and 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 it has it. And that's 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 cool. And and Good. it it works well in that lane and and it makes it easier for a buyer to go, you know what, this is the bike I want, or no, no, that's I need something that does this or this. But if if you're looking for this kind of kind of a little bit more than the minimal off pavement, like more than just
0: the easiest of dirt roads, but not the gnarliest. A few years ago, I did a tour around uh, Northern California with my buddies and it was basically a street tour. But for whatever reason, one of, you know, the guy that was leading it kind of misunderstood what he'd seen on the map. And we ended up somewhere around the back of Redding in Northern California. Cut a long story short, we ended up doing about, 35 or or 40 miles off pavement and it was it was a fire road but it was definitely all gravel it was not just a sort of hard packed it was loose lots and lots of loose pebbles and gravel and you know and and sinking and and what have you and I was riding a street bike and, and I was constantly losing the front everywhere and we're puttering along doing about 15 miles an hour and I'm cursing the fact that i'm riding this street bike and i'm not an off-road guy but i think that sort of thing if i if i'd been riding this bike i would actually have had a whale of a time i'd have stuck it in gravel mode and and just ripped along it it would have been awesome Yes. exactly so so i can see if you're the kind of guy that does that kind of touring and you know you're going to be roaring around on the road most of the time but occasionally you know you're going to stumble across something that you weren't expecting you're on the perfect bike for it so yeah like you say it's a matter of realistically figuring out the kind of riding that you do and the kind of rider you are
1: exactly and the kind of motorcycle it is and then put that all together and then get the right bike and <laughs> don't have ex, don't have pre, you know predetermined expectations of what you think you want find out what <laughs> to right. do the right do the smart thing
0: yeah so. And then it it doesn't hurt that it's a beautiful looking bike as well. In the pictures, it's lovely. Those gold wheels and the gold suspension. It looks really looks really the part. I mean, it you know it's pretty mouth watering. So I don't know. It, it looks like a great a great foray into the market for Suzuki. I think you know the V-Strom name has been has been held up. <laughs> yes. Oh, definitely, definitely a, a, a an excellent
1: new member of the family that has its own spot. Excellent.
0: All right. Hey, thanks, Donna. Really, really appreciate your thoughts. I'm glad you had a good time.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Kat McLeod, owner of Leod Escapes, gets to chat with associate editor TJ Adams in our second segment. If you Google hedonism, it doesn't actually mention Leod Escapes. But judging by Kat's description of some of his magical MotoGP track riding tours and the associated antics, Google really should include it. Can you think of any better way to spend two weeks than three days of riding a legendary MotoGP circuit while being coached by world superbike legend Troy Corser, and then getting to tour the local spectacular area all the while staying in upscale hotels and eating the best food. I'd say that pretty much fits the bill. Cat is a great storyteller and he doesn't hold back. (laughs) You should probably be aware you should not have kids under 13 listening to this segment, so please be careful with that. As motorcycle people, we're often accused of being crazy. I say, "Eh, fair enough, we probably are. So, have a listen to Cat McLeod and go book yourself the trip of a lifetime. And no, we don't get paid anything to say that. We love your feedback. Please send us your comments and suggestions at producer at ultimate motorcycling.com. And if you like motos and friends, hit the subscribe button. <coughs> Reputation precedes it. Unmatched performance and striking style define it. We're talking about the 2023 Suzuki Hayabusa. This legendary sport bike is the quickest, most technologically advanced and aerodynamic Hayabusa ever. Its raw power and unparalleled acceleration matches your own drive while its head-turning design embodies your spirit's flair. Led by the Suzuki Intelligent Ride System, the Hayabusa gives riders a comprehensive collection of electronic rider aids like the bi-directional quickshifter, the drive mode selector, launch control system and the cruise control system that simultaneously increases performance, comfort and rideability. While its advanced analog and TFT LCD display panel connects you to the ride like never before, blending over 20 years of tradition with innovation. Plus, the Hayabusa comes in three new eye-catching colour combinations, and it offers a full suite of available Suzuki Genuine Accessories that you can choose from. The ultimate rider waits, so head into your local Suzuki dealer now, or visit suzukicycles.com to learn more.
2: Yeah,
3: my body's an inflammation station. Gotta have, hey, where's my
2: pills? Yeah,
3: <laughs> I literally, you know, have to have my, you know, get my, get my pill because I'm under chronic pain care.
2: Oh, really? Yeah.
3: Yeah, that, that, that's been a real, a real fun ride.
2: And so this, this sort of legacy is that from riding fast bikes
3: no no god i wish i wish i had some heroic stories like yeah i was doing this incredible thing i was just coming out of turn three and yeah yeah i still suffered. yeah 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 unfortunately there's no good stories with that one um i have my grandmother's hips
2: right well i suggest you give them back <laughs> it's pretty
3: much yeah yeah well she had three she had three hip replacements uh before she was done um so yeah <laughs> i wish i had a great story to go with it but i don't i've I've got a good story for the for the for the collarbone plate but but
2: you have a plate in your collarbone most people's collarbones a lot of collarbone injuries occur don't they with motorcycling it's because you put your arms out when you crash
3: that's like the standard thing if you're a track rider like any track rider worth the salt you know has at least one plated collarbone (laughs) it's like it's sort of like hey welcome to the club yeah me too yeah
2: <laughs> and when did you do that
3: uh that was like three years ago uh turn eight thunder hill it was just the first lap out uh i was still kind of warming up my tires I was and gonna I... say
2: cold tires
3: <laughs> yeah yeah no still warming up my tires and um turn eight's quite a fast left hand kink uh up a hill at thunder hill um and so I probably went into, I mean, max speed for that turn for me is probably about a hundred miles per hour. I think that the pro, you know, the really fast guys might do it at 120. Um, but unfortunately, uh, we we still don't know who hit me. And that's that's a really shocking thing. Uh but yeah, I went into uh win, I I just hit my apex, and the first thing I hear is crunch. And it's all of my fiberglass being destroyed behind me as I was hit diagonally from behind. Somebody just rammed right into me. Gosh! Uh, And a good friend of mine, actually a a good person in the industry, a leaky uh, from uh, Venom Sport, was behind me, and she saw the whole thing. And she said, "The guy who hit you, I don't know what he was doing because he, even if you weren't there, he would have crashed because he just he would have continued straight on. He was way off line." Uh, and he would have gone off into the weeds. Now, the problem when you're on a motorcycle and somebody hits you um, is that you and the motorcycle continue on the exact same trajectory. So that means at 100 miles per hour, as I'm flying into the weeds, my motorcycle is proceeding to beat the living snot out of me. I literally remember flying through the air, getting hit a third time by the motorcycle and going, oh, come on, you know? is getting hit um landed on the ground and sort of quickly discovered that me trying to roll over was was exceedingly difficult primarily because i I'd broken something uh my buddy max klein uh who's a photographer he was looking through the lens and he goes oh that's not good yeah cat's gonna need a helicopter <laughs> oh. so i did I, I i got the helicopter ride which is very disappointing by the way you can't see out the window <laughs>
2: Well, you'd be lying down wouldn't you you're lying down you
3: can't see out the window uh, i was in the hospital for for two weeks uh because the excessive rolling had really banged up my hips pretty hard uh and uh and of course a busted collarbone and The the hospital I was in like refused to plate it. They didn't have anybody there who would do it. I couldn't get any transport out of the hospital normally. So I literally had to check out of the hospital and go into the emergency room of another hospital in order to be admitted.
2: That's crazy.
3: Well, we'd done all our research. We'd found who we wanted, you know, we'd found the hospital we wanted to go to with a lot of specialists who were good at this. And uh, the surgeon, I end up, you know, into my in my room. He's like, "All right, how you doing?" I was how did it happen?" I said, "Oh yeah, turn eight Thunderhill." He goes, "That's a fast turn." <laughs> I'm there all the time with my portion,
2: of course. Then you knew you were talking to the correct surgeon for the job. Right. Um, one
3: of the one of the guys uh, from uh, Z two Track Days is also um, I forget what the word is for it. He's he's the nurse that prepares all of the surgery tools and parts for the surgery anyway he he snuck in my my piece and he let me see it before they put it in me
2: oh wow yeah yeah it's amazing the sort of different injuries that can occur from a similar accident i mean we all wear protective gear of course but it can turn out so different so you had the rolling thing that obviously caused a lot more damage than perhaps would have been normal from that type of accident
3: yeah well i mean we pretty much know when i finally did view the the many different bits and pieces of my bike um there's a huge giant dent in the gas tank there's no rocks out there the dent in the gas tank that was me right (laughs) the 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 gas tank hit my shoulder
2: well i'm glad it wasn't worse
3: yeah well yeah the crazy thing is somebody else had done that exact same crash um a week before and they had died it's it's a pretty high speed tumble
2: so for the amount of track time you've had and and you know you're a biker guy Mm -hmm. yeah you have you had
3: many injuries or no no um good I don't I don't do amateur racing and there's a reason for that is because I absolutely love it and I would dedicate everything to it and I wouldn't stop and I'd get very aggressive and I have no natural talent whatsoever (laughs) any of my riding ability comes from from a lot of training which I've taken uh from some very good schools and some very helpful people and yeah, I would. Ne- I I will never be a great rider, but I, I, I'm. I've made myself a better rider through training. But I'm never going to be. I said, look at the size of me. You know, I'm I'm six foot three, two hundred and fifty pounds. I'm not going to be some. You know, I'm I'm not the next racing sensation, particularly as I'm over fifty anyway. So I play with my racer friends. I help them train at track days. We'll play hare and hound. uh You know, and I'll, I'll work with them or say, all right, all right, come on, show me your pass on turn three, or come on, outbreak me in turn six, and. And I'll help them out here and there, but no, I'm not a super fast guy, uh, and I don't race because uh, yeah, I would. Uh, enough, one one ride on the helicopter is enough for me. I don't need to race on a plastic trophy, but I get it. I really get it. I would, I would just so go for it because I like, I like, you know, beating people at track days. It's
2: <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you've got full gusto and enthusiasm, but you know your limitations. Exactly you started your career with film or was it the other way around because you're fully motorcycle guy now but um you mentioned earlier that you were in film reviews or film no
3: no I, I have a film degree um uh, but that's you one of
2: film degree right
3: that's one of four that's one of four degrees that I have I have two in I have uh one in I have a BS in marketing uh a BS in well, a BA in marketing BS in uh international business, and an MBA in marketing with a concentration in subconscious decision theory, essentially consumer behavior.
2: All oh, right, interesting. All sound very useful degrees. <laughs> they do because, you know, it's unusual because quite often when, when you meet people who've got a raft of degrees, then uh, they've kind of been taking them for the sake of it, but those all sound related.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, you know, the film degree was the last one just because I was, you know, trying to get, get work, trying to get a job. Right. And for the most part, uh, layout escapes happened because um, I spent three years trying to get work. And when you're over 40 and you're white and you're male and you've got four college degrees, no one's going to give you a seat at the table.
2: But you managed it.
3: No, I, I had to create my own table.
2: Awesome. And how did you go about that? Did you sit and think, what do I like best? Oh, motorcycles. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, you know, you go like any good author, uh, you go with what you know. I traveled quite a bit around the world. I knew international marketing, you know, I'd worked for a number of brands in the in the power sports industry. Uh, And so, yeah, this is and I'd seen plenty of people try to start a motorcycle touring business and utterly fail. Everybody thinks they want to be a motorcycle tour guide.
2: (laughs) Right. So this is how this is your direction and this is something you love to do.
3: Oh, I've been doing this for 10 years. Layered Escapes specializes in the track and tour vacation. That is vacations made for track riders. So it's um it's a 10, it's it's 11 to 12 days, uh, three and four-star hotels, three days of track time, quality track bikes. That's that's important. Because especially when you're going in, you know 180 miles per hour down the straightaway, you want a bike that's been, you know, in, it's in a good nick or put together properly. Um, Absolutely. Massive motor GP circuits with quality pavement. you know, and extensive instruction on a lot of these places because we want to learn the lines, but also we want to send you home, you know, a better rider. Um, and then five or six days of sport touring, on again, quality sport touring bikes, that's harder to get in some places than others, and then sometimes a rest day you know after after the track days you know so
2: that sounds awesome i've heard of lots of people who do you know motorcycle travel but not including the track days mm-hmm. and are these on well-known tracks or
3: they're all motor, all moto gp tracks
2: wow fantastic
3: so that's yeah so how it works is you know you reserve about four to nine months ahead you mm. choose if you want to share a room or have your own room and yeah, we get about 15 percent couples Uh, You choose your bike upgrades for the street, you know, track upgrades like slicks and warmers or a full gear rental. And then afterwards, you'll, you'll start getting more precise info about the trip, you know, tips on what to pack, what to expect. And we start collecting tons of information from our clients like, passports, driver's licenses, you know, the, the fact that if they eat an oyster, they'll, they'll turn blue and die, you know, things like that.
2: You cover everything.
3: Eventually, you know, the day comes,
2: you know, and
3: uh, many people choose to arrive a day or two early, kind of walk off that jet lag in Rome, Barcelona, Sydney, you know, wherever we, wherever we end up.
2: It sounds like quite a very, very destinations.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, most of the MotoGP tracks are in Europe um and then uh, we this past this past year we started mounting radio comm units on everyone it used to be just our uh, just our guides uh, but we started mounting uh chatterbox x2 slims uh on everyone if they want one uh and that really keeps the tour moving smooth no bluetooth radio uh, use you got to use a professional piece of gear yeah you know, obviously we've got a luggage truck you know, that holds your track gear and your regular luggage. The so track gear stays in the van the whole time. Then your luggage comes in each night at the hotels. Uh, at the track days, you get matched up with a coach and another rider about your same speed. And, and you guys kind of work on, you know, your issues. And then there's usually classroom theory uh, taught by Troy Corser, two-time world superbike champion. And, and Troy, Troy is not just a, you know, a famous fast guy. He's actually become a really good coach and he's, he's, he's helped me out. He's actually amazing. He will see things in a quarter of a second and come back and talk to you in the paddock and say, I saw you doing this. It's not going to work, mate. You've got to try it this way because if you keep doing that, you're going to end up on the deck. (laughs) He's He's, he's really good. He's very approachable and he's he's lots of good fun. And she's that
1: guy can drink.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That adds to the fun. So you mentioned hotels. So this is not it Your your, um, tours are hotel. I want to say hotel driven. So you're not out camping
3: no 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 you, you <laughs> want to shower you want to shower at the end of the day uh when you're touring with me you really do <laughs> uh, the weird thing okay then then we sort of get into the why okay why why does this work who who comes on this well if you're a track rider you want to ride a MotoGP gp circuit you, you do if, if even if you don't watch MotoGP, gp if you watch it a few times like oh my god look at that racetrack i'm always on the hunt for more it's the hardest part to find quality track bikes for rent. If anyone out there has got 10, 10 quality bikes I can rent for Silverstone, Buriram, Montangi, uh, my existence is punishable by death in Malaysia, but I'd risk it just to ride Sepang, you know? Uh I just need track bikes.
2: Yeah, so you've obviously got to put a lot of time and effort into getting things like that organized.
3: Yeah, yeah, good, good quality track bikes, I think, but... But the other reason that people end up coming on our tours is not just for the track experience, but because they know that everyone else on the tour is a track rider, and that means that it's about pace. Since everyone is a track rider, there's a higher skill level. Now granted, riding the street is different than riding the track. But on the whole, you have a more skilled rider who's, who's an experienced track rider.
2: So when you go away on these things, you're, you're not looking for sort of newbies or inexperienced riders. This, exactly. is, this is for people who've been on the track already and yes. who want this travel experience and to ride famous tracks and to learn. You say you have yes. training.
3: Yeah. But the other reason that a lot of people end up going on our tours is because they see, oh, this is a track riders tour. That means we're not going to be going... Uh, really slow on the street as well. We're, we're not being ridiculously fast. We're not taking unreasonable risks. It's just we're these are more skilled riders.
2: Yeah, it's just different levels.
3: Yeah. The advantage of that is we can take roads that other tours can't. We can take, you know, the crazy, twisty, you know, switchbacks with, with the amazing view. There's a road in the Italian Dolomites that, that shouldn't exist. <laughs> it's part of the insanity that is Italy, and we'll talk about that later uh but it's a crazy road and you know it, for an experienced rider you get to the top of it and there's like maybe two cars and 20 bikes at the top wow because nobody nobody this road this road doesn't exist other than as far as i can tell just for people to have fun on
2: well and these rates you've you've found well you get good at hunting
3: them down it's sort of an in in, instinctive
2: right
3: um you know and but finally you know the secret sauce uh and this wasn't it didn't really occur to us until we started running the tours you know for a couple of years the secret sauce is track riders themselves that's what makes the tour because it's not just where you go and what you do it's who you do it with
2: do you tend to get mates going along together or individuals
3: we get it occasionally um sometimes you know a group of like three or four biters will come along um and it's weird. People think, "Oh, I need I need to get some friends to go, otherwise I won't have uh, I won't have a good time." It's like, no, your friends are already coming. You just haven't met them yet. Because <laughs> track riders are the same all over the world. Doesn't matter the language. Doesn't matter what they do for a living. Doesn't matter what country they live in. They're all the same types of people.
2: That's the common interest. And do you have ladies as well? You mentioned couples earlier.
3: Yeah, you know. A, probably about 8 to 10% women I'd like to get more women uh you know we we obviously we, we look out we look out for uh our women on tour but honestly it, since most people are coming out of the United States and then we're taking them to Europe um we've we're we're inducing them into a a safer environment (laughs) anyway it's you know it's so funny like my german friends would be like oh cats you're not want to go over there that's a dangerous neighborhood i'm like you guys don't know what a dangerous neighborhood is it's funny uh yeah no uh women very welcome uh we look after them uh no no bs or anything like that um they they they, to, to me they're just fellow riders
2: So what's the most popular place you've been to? You know, is there one place that you go back to more frequently because everyone's had a fantastic time?
3: Yeah, actually, it's funny to say that um, I've talked about a number of times. We've only had one tour where people five years later will come back and do the exact same tour.
2: Oh, interesting.
3: Like like literally repeat. I mean, we have a lot of repeat business, but there's only one place people come back to do the exact same tour, and that's Italy. Oh, and I'm in you know our our Italian dream tour. In uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna propose that the reason that people do this again and again is because of the passion of Italy. You never hear anyone say, oh, sh- I got to go back to Italy." No, everyone's oh, I'm going back to Italy. But why? You know what? What is it? What, you know? What is it what about Italy? What is the Italy? draw? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, p- part of the joke I've heard recently is, you know, it's it's where English people go to have emotions. <laughs>
2: That's a good one. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but you see the passion in, in everything. It's a cultural thing. Um, you see it obviously in the art, in the design, it goes into every yes. meal. Even if you go to a tourist trap restaurant, you're going to get a good meal. They can't, not serve you a good meal. Either. You'll probably end up paying, you know, an extra five or ten euros for the exact same meal, but it's still going to be good because they they put their passion into it. It's an incredibly simple dish, but it's how it's prepared. It's because somebody's really put some effort into it because they love it. Um, but conversely, if you want to get good work out of an Italian, you have to make them feel good. Unless you're unless you're fun to work with, an Italian can't be bothered so there's actually a special type of business flirting that happens in italy in order for you to get the best service the best room the the you know the fun whatever you you got to play the game and that's why in germany i have vendors but in italy i have a
2: partner right
3: enrico gets me into these places because enrico is fun enrico knows how to play the game And, you know, so that, so it's a detriment, you know, with Italy, you can't just walk in, walk in someplace and immediately get great service like you would in, say, Germany or Austria or the Netherlands, but in Italy, when you go the other direction, you have somebody with you, okay, now you're getting limoncello at the end of dinner, you know, for the whole table for free. Right. because we love you, you know, <laughs> please we want you to come back you know it's, it's just that type of thing
2: and how's your italian do you find you've had to learn some italian or are they all oh
3: just a tiny bit actually my partner enrico gets pissed at me all the time that i haven't learned more italian this <laughs> like I don't need to learn more italian i've got you
2: but it's also a beautiful language
3: it is it is um i, I actually like uh, the way austrians uh speak more than anything uh, and I'm trying to. I need to learn a bit more Dutch because one of our vendors is is our best really track vendor is Dutch, and uh, I think the Dutch are the coolest people on the planet. They, but they're they're also they they're all the organization of the Germans, but like it, they're more relaxed.
2: Right. I was going to say, what makes them that?
3: <laughs> yeah. No. And besides, also the Italian Dream Tour has uh, Mugello, and that's my favorite racetrack in Europe. It's it's like a piece of sculpture you get to ride on. It's just amazing. You can feel the history in that place. I mean, all of the MotoGP tracks have a different character. Many of them have kind of a personality to them, uh, and yeah, Mugello is just a beautiful piece of sculpture that's ride right, I me. Mean, come on, go faster. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a very sexy. It's 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 definitely a very sexy Italian woman that that wants you to have a good time. With.
2: <laughs> it's a great description. Yeah. Yeah. No. So how much track time do you all guests get when they go on your traveling adventure? Oh, three days. Three days on the track, that's good.
3: Three days, that's, the you know, the, by, by day three, you're like, Ooh, okay, um, maybe I'm going to skip the next session. <laughs> uh, and that's why we've we've started including a rest day afterwards, it, particularly because it, it keeps people from, from uh, getting in trouble the following day yeah they're tired they're achy they start to get angry pretty quick no let's let's give them a day to to, to rest by the pool in the uh, italian just to
2: sun. recuperate
3: yeah yeah have you know have some have some good uh wine Yeah, you know, they have wonderful rotten grape juice in italy so
2: <laughs> rotten grape juice <laughs>
3: well that's what it is just, they take these grapes and they stomp on it and they shove it in casts and they, they let it get rotten <laughs> and it just turns out this amazing stuff people come from all over the world for it it's 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 nuts.
2: So what's the funniest thing that's happened to you on one of these events? Oh.
3: Jeez. That, that 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 one's a hard a hard question. Two strangest requests. Um one, hey cat, can you organize a, uh, a a a a transsexual escort for me? And two, uh, the second one which was harder, which was much harder to fulfill on, uh, hey cat, can you get me some grits?
2: Some grits? <laughs> <laughs> they don't exist outside of america i'd never heard of them until i came here <laughs> exactly
3: exactly so obviously it was it was much easier to take care of the first request than it was the second one um, i did manage to convince that guy um to try the croquettes which is basically deep fried mashed potatoes <laughs> he, he was he was just having a rough day of it and he needed some comfort food and and people people who have culture shock can, can make some odd, you know, yeah, you, you got to treat them special. Americans will get that a lot with Europe, but they haven't lived any place in the world really. Uh, and you got to kind of help them through it. I remember one, one poor client, she's, she, she comes to my, uh, to my operations manager at the beginning of the day. And she says, I've, I've just come to terms with the fact that I'm going to die here what and we're looking at her like what <laughs> yeah because she's she's just so scared she's out of her home environment and for people who've done a fair amount of travel this is fun but for people who've lived in one homogeneous environment their entire lives to suddenly be placed in another one it can be really scary for them and, and that's part of what i do with later sketches to get people out of uh, out of their comfort zone and sort of see the world and understand the world i'm very big I, I hate touristy stuff i want authenticity because to me a tourist goes to see but a traveler goes to understand
2: sounds like you really immerse people in the experience
3: yeah um like like food you know food 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 is the one thing that unites everyone together but uh let's say i want somebody on my tour not to eat local I want them to eat like a local. And that means I'm not interested in, in of course, when I'm in Germany, I want them to have, you know, Lieberkäse and Currywurst and These are things you have to eat while you're there. But, you know, Germans eat a ridiculous amount of Turkish food. The best Greek food I've ever had has been in Germany. And Döner kebabs are so popular in Germany that, that Germans kind of think of it as theirs. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's, it's it's Turkish food. They have this story that it was invented in Berlin. I'm like,
2: mm,
3: not sure about that.
2: Uh, <laughs> Good try. Right.
3: But but you know, you, you to me, you know you're in a real German uh restaurant for, for locals, like you know, a, a Weinstube or a beer garden, and, and you'll see chicken wings and pizza on the menu. Because Germans like chicken wings.
2: <laughs> right, of course
3: you know it's it's on the menu because you know it's not kept off the menu because it's not you know it's not traditional it's not the, uh you know germans like their chicken wings and their pizza um but they also love their donut and I, but i want my clients to try the the donut kebabs and the greek food while we're in germany because it's really good
2: because you're going to get the quality there yeah
3: is instead of like oh you you you've got to have the, the 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 kidney the kidney stuffed veal you know it's <laughs> like yeah well it may be a traditional dish but nobody eats
2: that's (laughs) exactly it's
3: traditionally thrown in the trash or given to the dog uh but food food makes a big difference on tour because food changes people's attitudes real quick you could be having a horrible morning pouring rain cold everyone's miserable pop them in a in a great lunch spot everyone's happy again it it changes everybody's (laughs) attitude whereas if, if you serve somebody a bad meal Oh, man. And they're in a strange place. They get grumpy really quick and they wish they'd never left home.
2: Yeah. Travel certainly is a way to expand your horizons, not just food, but scenery, roads, as much as you can describe them. And people can look at lots of um, footage on YouTube, etc., TV. But actually being there is a completely different kettle of fish.
3: Well, let me see if I can give uh, at least at least give some helpful tips to your to your listeners um obviously i travel on tour um all the time with video cameras uh because i have to capture the action and a lot of people want to do the same thing they they want to bring on a camera and say and show their friends make them envious i mean i think half the reason people come on my tours is to show their friends hey look what i did <laughs> which is which is a reason why we give every single one of them a custom uh venom sport top with their name on the back and the track they've been to so they can go wear it around the paddock at their at their local track But anyway, let's, let's talk about uh, action cameras or more specifically the most common, uh, the GoPro. So this is 2023. So that means the GoPro 11 uh, is on the market. Uh, And this year, while touring, I will use two GoPro 10s and one GoPro 11. Uh, The difference, uh, the the two are almost identical, except for the GoPro 11 has a better uh, CCD sensor inside of it, and will give you a crisper image because it has more information to um, compress into uh, it it won't be it'll be just a little bit crisper and clearer even though the files will be exactly the same size because the ccd is better
2: so technically better and you've tried these things obviously you've had enough time to try different manufacturers and different types of recordings Uh,
3: so settings settings on your gopro camera um always turn when you're on the bike uh whether you have it mounted on the bike or my favorite mounting point is to mount it on the chain of the helmet um make sure you've got your image stabilization uh turned on uh image stabilization has gotten really good uh with gopro it used to be really bad uh, i used to have to use other types of cameras because the image image stabilization was bad i don't even use a gimbal anymore i used to use a gimbal uh for, for some of the stuff and now the stabilization has gotten so good i don't even use a gimbal anymore um, so you don't also don't need to set a high frame rate anymore set your frame rate to uh, 30 frames per second uh, that'll do fine now this will save you card space and, and battery. Uh, set your camera to quick capture which means you just press the, the button once and it will turn on and start recording and you press it again and it, uh, turns it off and stops recording uh do not go cheap on cars always get the absolute best quality uh card you can get that is specifically for video capture otherwise your camera will just crash while you're while you're recording your your precious memories and and you'll you'll come back and discover that oh this stuff you know that that didn't work and i i missed that great shot the other thing is at every stop clean your lens people always forget they they've recorded this great video of this incredible road or this incredible scenery and they've <laughs> got a big bug splat right on it Let's see, and review your footage every day so you can see what camera mounts are, are working, what angles are working.
2: Right, see so if you make, need to make any changes. Right,
3: I use, uh, there's a company called Chin Mounts that makes little plates that fit on the front of your helmet. I find the the chin-mounted camera to be the most realistic and useful sort of overall view from the bike because it's easy to turn the camera on and off. Um, it gives a, a good shot. It's just convenient. You don't waste your battery because you can just you can easily access it. Uh, we'll leave the link in the show notes for how people can get to that. Yeah, sure. Um, I've got um, also if you if you can get by on just one camera, you could do it. Um, I encourage people also to try um, mounting the camera backwards uh, on the top case if you have people you're riding with. you don't have people you're riding with it's a boring shot but if you have people you're riding with it's a very dynamic shot that's fun um and then the other thing is it's not just about the ride you know people want to see stuff of your hotel and you guys eating in a crazy place and whatnot in that case a, a little a little handheld tripod
2: right so you haven't got all just roads recorded you've got fun and laughter and socialization
3: it's about the whole experience. Um, you, you, you've got to enjoy that. You want to show your friends.
2: So you film everything. You film yourself, and you recommend that everybody takes their own camera. Yeah. Oh no.
3: And I, I share my footage, and uh, I've I obviously I've gotten some good video footage from uh, my clients and whatnot. Video is important, and also my my film degree it kind of makes me, you know, head in that direction. So.
2: We want to hear about the fun as well.
3: Oh wait, well, it's. it's... Lots of fun. I mean, we pack it in. Uh, I, I think, uh, like like our Munich to Magello tour. After you take that tour, you're gonna need uh, you're gonna need a couple of days off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna need a vacation after your vacation because because we do some serious miles. We do some serious riding, and you're gonna be. I mean, we do have that rest day, thankfully, but yeah, you're still gonna be. You, your mind will be reeling at all the things you've seen, all the different places you've been, all the fabulous food you've eaten.
2: And socially in the evenings how does that go
3: oh well like you said they, they, it's a bunch of track riders so they get on like a house on fire you know that everyone connects together so quickly because they're all lunatics who think the best way to spend you know a sunday afternoon is to wrap your legs around 180 horsepower you know and and dive into a turn at 110 and scrape their knee on the ground it's yeah they're they're, they're, they're all nuts you know, and I'm one of them, so it's not <laughs> hard. Uh, I, I've worked in, you know, a lot of tour I worked press, you know, press launches and I've worked other types of tour groups and whatnot. Nobody gels faster and quicker together as a group of riders than than track riders. They immediately just like uh, they're the funny thing is is they they'll they'll come back and say, Oh, I want to ride with these people again. Oh, these people were great. You know, so we'll get
2: Because they've sort of gelled, right? They sort of gelled. I think, oh, I
3: got I got to see these people again. It's like it happens on every tour, man.
2: (laughs) So that's something that's a bit different to just going on the roads.
3: Yeah, but yeah, everyone's enjoying this together, Um, and that's that's a big dynamic of it. You think you know the individualistic concept of motorcycle riding, but no, the most the best fun of motorcycle riding for a lot of people is riding with your friends and these people become your friends very fast because they're lunatics just like you
2: (laughs) so what have been your favorite roads
3: let's see my favorite my favorite week of sport touring would still be northern california uh, because of the great variety of roads that you get uh, lots of great twisties through the mountains through the trees along the coast into the valleys it's a big variety across so many different ecosystems uh and to me there's nothing like riding through a redwood forest i love the smell you know the, the fresh oxygen you know produced by you know thousand year old trees
2: yes yeah and of course on the motorcycle you get all of that
3: yeah yeah you get the smells you know riding through italy you get the smell of fresh jasmine you know as you go and by places you can smell the vineyards you can you know you can smell someone cooking you know it's it's it, people forget about how visceral uh, the sense of smell is you really become italy sucks you in you you become part of italy while you're there you don't just view it from a distance the dolomites is a resort area filled with hundreds of fabulous great family run places it's pretty hard to go wrong in the dolomites really because they're all competing against each other for repeat business it's not a tourist trap in the slightest and yet i've found this one family place in Kenazai that i return to you know consistently year after year because of the extra things that they do uh for me and just the stuff they know it's it's been great
2: yeah standout customer service makes such a difference it does. you've had a good experience good news travels fast and i think my
3: male clients have also fallen in love with the with the manager as well <laughs> she's 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 fabulous she's smart as a whip uh she's really fast she's bright she's clean. And she's stunningly gorgeous uh she's just great Uh, she's got she's got a great she was born with a great hand of cards let's put it that way she's she's gonna have a blessed life really Uh, (laughs) yeah the italian Alps, the dolomites that's it it doesn't look real it's like you're in a giant movie set you you turn a corner and it's just one view after another and it, you feel like the place was just a giant amusement park created for motorcyclists.
2: Wow, and good road surfaces there.
3: It, it varies here and there. uh Like I said, that that one road, Passo Manghen, that the road shouldn't exist. I swear, there's some you know nutty Italian who is on the 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 council for you know road maintenance or whatever it is in Italy who manages <laughs> to get funding to get this road repaved every year or two because there's no reason for this road to exist but it dip there it is and, and they keep repaving it it's not part of any you know moto giro it's not part of any great bicycle race or something but it's yeah it's crazy good fun paso Mengen is like to me that's like the real riders pass tourists go to stelvio and stelvio's you know pretty but the, to me the riders pass is paso menghen or, or paso gavia those are serious roads for, for accomplished riders who are really going to enjoy it.
2: Sounds fantastic.
3: I, I, I love it. I love it. I, I would happily, if, if I were super wealthy and someone would say, Where do you summer? I would say, Yeah, the, the Dolomites.
2: No one near the secret.
3: Yes, yeah, so I would summer in the Dolomites. <laughs> Favorite racetrack? Uh, that'd be Phillip Island.
2: A lot of people say that.
3: Yeah, it's fabulous. Uh, Phillip Island has, it's, it's a great, track to ride with your mates because there's more than one fast line uh through a turn. Uh so that makes it kind of a battleground racetrack. You know, it, it's a racer's race track. Uh people who like to race, you know, what not, uh, Rossi loves it as well. And you come out of the last turn over the straightaway, uh you're kind of going uphill and then you sort of crest the hill a little bit and you have this beautiful view of the ocean. Which is very distracting, and you've you've kind of got to watch it a little bit because you've got a you've got a, a sweeping right hander coming up, <laughs> and then my favorite turn right there is the southern loop. I always double apex the southern loop and just driving out of the southern southern loop towards a Honda curve. I still don't go near as fast as I should, but um, I
2: feel as though you are.
3: <laughs> I love that. I I love Indy, yeah, but Phillip Island's like a lot of the things in Australia. The the paddocks kind of uh, kind of you know, ship shod here and there. There's a few things you'd use, an extra coat of paint and probably needs to be replaced. But, but um, like everything in Australia, it works.
2: It'll be all right.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Australians, I think Australians are characterized by the phrase, we don't always know what we're doing, but we're going to get it done anyway. And and they do. They, they, they do. <laughs> uh, so it's a great race do a good job. Yeah, uh, good on you, Aussies. And uh, the other great thing about uh, Phillip Island is there's it, it's a resort town it's a resort town with a moto gp track next to it with the best moto gp fan shop ever and uh and the whole town sort of embraces its its racing uh, heritage uh there's italians who literally have moved there because they love the racetrack so much a uh, pinos there's an italian restaurant called pinos there that is uh, filled with uh racer memorabilia on the walls um and uh, it's, I think. Uh, Jack Miller did relatively well uh, at a race once and there's a big uh, there's a big line out the door just out the door for pizza and Jack brings up his his suit and he says hey oh, Rosa you know can you let me in and Rosa, Rosa's, she's, she's this little 5 foot nothing old woman uh who runs the place and she knows exactly what Jack has done he's cut the line and cuz he wants to get his pizza he wants to get his pizza now and he's willing to trade a leather suit for it. And she just looks at it. Yeah, what you want. <laughs> she knows why he's there. It's just that the suit hasn't cost him a dime, you know. <laughs> she knows "shit. I think um well, Rossi, I think he had a great race, and and uh, I think he you know he didn't win. I think he only finished third, but he loved it. He had such a great time. And and Rossi was famous for if he's had a good day of it. Uh don't expect him to show up for practice the next the next morning. <laughs> yeah, the last story was he was doing shots with the dishwasher at Pino's at about <laughs> 5 in the morning because apparently Rossi could just keep on drinking. The dishwasher had no clue who he was.
2: He was just one of the bikers. Yeah,
3: he's just one of those crazy motorcycle riding people. But of course, I think the dishwasher was Italian. Which. And Italian, <laughs> not knowing who Rossi is, is pretty weird. And that's why it was kind of funny. As it
2: <laughs> and so presumably you can ride the roads around the area and people are expecting to see lots of bikers. Yeah, no,
3: it's a and Aussies. Australia is a wonderful country to ride in and fabulous food. Really, that's the big surprise for a lot of people when we take them to Australia is the food is a lot better than they, they thought it was going to be. They're very much fresh, farm-to-table, enforced by the government to try to lower their health care costs.
2: Well, they eat a lot of Australian food, and they've got great lands for farming.
3: Yeah, no, plenty of barramundi, um, and uh, I do like my skippy. It's hard to find in a restaurant, though. That's A kangaroo, called skippy.
2: Yes. yes, they eat the mascots that are on there. <laughs> They're crest
3: (laughs) it's very it's very (laughs) neat they are not right the first kangaroo you see in australia will will be a dead one on the side of the road they're everywhere
2: that's sad isn't it
3: yes it's kind of sad but but trust me there's no shortage of kangaroos in australia (laughs) this is this is not an endangered species at all (laughs)
2: they're amazing creatures it's worth going to see live kangaroos
3: oh yeah no we do we do i've got this one place i stop um uh in kashusko national park where i just sort of I grew up on a ranch. I kind of know animals. And I'm like, I bet you the kangaroos are going to be down here in the bottom of this valley near the river. It's kind of a field. And yet we found a, we found a, a mob, is what you call it, a, a big mob of greys uh, out there, wild kangaroos. And then uh, when we're on Phillip Island, there's actually a wild animal park where you can go and feed them. And and that's where I, I warn any of our clients who are bringing their, their wives or girlfriends uh, along. I said, does she like animals? Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, she loves animals. Oh, you're in deep shit now, man. Because <laughs> you're never going to hear the end of it. I want a wallaby. Can we get a wallaby? Because they are the <laughs> cutest animals. on. They
2: have the cuteness factor.
3: Yeah, they reach up with their little hands. and Yeah, they're just adorable. And <laughs> there's a particular spot on a wallaby right on their chest. If you scratch their chest, they sort of, you know, they sort of go insane. It's great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you're taking lots of Americans all over the world. Mm. You're not meeting people in these other lands and then taking them to different countries
3: uh, from the u s, Canada and australia I, I do get some Australians uh, right on Tour as well. Uh, but it, these are it's the English language I suppose if i I would wouldn't mind doing the Chinese market. Uh, I know what Brazilians are like on tour. I've seen it. <laughs> brazilians are an absolute blast on tour the problem is they never show up online for anything it would be kind of hell to manage but uh, i don't know how to crack into that market that's that's the international businessman and me talking so i know what i don't know and i do not know the business culture of of china or brazil to be able to crack into it
2: right so stick to what you know yeah and do you find you get repeat business do you get people coming back or going home and taking their wives and friends the next time
3: oh yeah no Um, our best our best client yeah people think, like, oh this is just for rich people no our best client he's done seven tours now uh he's a snowplow driver right and anytime he's doing overtime which has happened a lot this year so I'm looking forward to seeing him in Portugal uh that to him that's money for his next adventure with me
2: so he's not a rich man but he has his priorities correct yes
3: well I told him the 10th 10th tour is is on me I think maybe I'll, I might even make a custom tour for him maybe we'll just go somewhere together maybe like we'll ride Iceland <laughs> together or something.
2: oh that's lovely yeah, yeah, yeah great you know, like idea I, I
3: owe him you know, for, for putting up with me for so many years uh just to have fun yeah, I, I'm 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 a better tour operator than I am a tour guide. <laughs>
2: Has anything really surprised you? Anything that's happened while you've been overseas? I
3: must number the clients. I ended up in uh, a surprise. I'm just thinking, surprising thing. I ended up in an anti-Fa protest in Chemnitz, Germany, sixty thousand strong. Grief. 60 Thousand Germans, uh, anti-fall uh, uh, Germans, protesting, and it was really educational to to watch how Germans protest. They're very orderly, like everything you would expect in Germany. You, you you see them, you know, they're walking towards the the gathering. They've got the they've got their signs in in one hand and their case of beer in the other, <laughs> which of course is completely normal. You know, here here they
2: they're going to be there a while.
3: Yeah, we're kind to bring some beer with us. You know, we're, we're here protesting. It's thirsty work. Um, they they they're organizing that they all they all know their songs they all they all sing their you know I, I couldn't tell you what the songs were but obviously they sing and
2: songs of protest one assumes
3: right uh, you know they, they march <laughs> uh, but the other thing was that was uh, shocking to watch was um, the police police is the difference between the United States police versus other police around the world and just the culture of how they they deal with with stuff like this. Uh, the german police were definitely there they were all over the place but they were in small pockets There's eight right. of them there five over there there's four over there there's uh i think there's i think there might be six of them you know around back there. but they were never like creating a confrontational line of anything they were not there in opposition to the people um, they were there to help keep things safe everyone doing fine all right they had their they had their riot vans all set and ready to go if if need be but they were not there to fight the people they were there to help the people and keep things safe and organized um so that was shocking um the best sign i saw um, at that protest was nazis don't dance (laughs) you think about it I mean, they have the best clothing you know, ever of any military, but, but no, can't really think of them dancing all that well. Yeah.
2: That's true. And so the protest
3: did literally come with, uh, with, with two live concert stages and two separate dance areas because apparently Antifa people like to dance with their sides at the same time. Yeah, it was a, it was a they were having problems with uh, the local neo Nazis were, were uh, had been picking on some of the immigrants quite hard. And eventually one of the immigrants fought back uh and uh one of the neo-nazis ended up dying and that caused a huge row of course and the of big course. you know neo-nazis had a, a big protest and whatnot uh whereupon a week later antifa came out and had uh you know sixty thousand people in the street saying uh right. no i think not we've already been through this once before we're the children of those people and we've learned about it in school your average german Kid knows a hell of a lot more about World War II and how bad it was than <laughs> anyone anyway, they know. So yeah, I, that's one of the rules I tell people when anytime I have tours in Germany, don't don't even think of talking about World War II. Because you <laughs> don't, you don't know. And everyone, everyone in Germany knows exactly uh what happened. And like uh, a recovering or a reformed, you know, bully, criminal, alcoholic, whatever, they're rather proud quietly proud of how much better a place they've become since then and what they stand for.
2: Right.
3: You won't hear them brag about it, but, but yeah.
2: Did that delay your tour, the unplanned? It was a
3: real pain getting to the, uh, to the hotel because all but one road was, was closed off, but we eventually did get through. Uh, But whereupon sixth floor of the building I was in where my hotel was at, I'm looking out across and I have, uh, I got to watch uh, the Totenhausen, in concert which you know for local germans is my, my i was sending pictures to my, my german friends and they were just absolutely furious with envy that i was watching the uh, die totenhosen
2: <laughs> you were there live
3: yes yes yeah and wow you
2: hadn't paid for the uh exactly. The privilege. <laughs>
3: exactly exactly so yeah i went out uh, went out on the streets got my my dinner kebab and uh, and and sort of watched the the protesting world go by, and uh, did not feel unsafe or threatened in any way.
2: So you all stick together; nobody gets lost on the way. I mean, these you're touring all day when you do the road right. sections.
3: No, we're very conscientious of keeping everyone together. Uh, that's what the radio comms are for, and that's why we we uh, almost always have a sweep rider to make sure that everyone makes it in. Uh, yeah, you're not you're not going to be left behind. Uh, um, we often split into two groups. Uh, if the tour is large enough, you know, fast people up front, you know, slower people back, and and some people change groups from time to time. They're like, oh, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna have a bit of a go this morning, and then in the afternoon, they're like, no, I actually want to take in some of the scenery. I think I've missed a bit of it.
2: So, how do people go about finding you and booking to come with you?
3: Oh, well, thank you. Um, uh, that's uh, Layout Escapes, and let's see, what do we have left this year? Um, I've got about five spots left for the Italian Dream. Which is uh, again touring through Italy, uh, my favorite place for dinner. Uh, and three days of track time on Magello uh, with Troy Corsa. Um, we have no I've got well, I've got a space left on my party tour, actually. This is sort of the bad boys party tour.
2: Well, wow, that sounds interesting.
3: Yeah, it's it's the it's the Checkout Bruneau. Uh, so we're riding uh, Czech Republic and Bruneau riding through Austria um and slovenia Uh, i was called slovenia it's just like switzerland at 30 percent off (laughs) it's a bargain it it looks exactly the same if you're in the mountains
2: does it i haven't been to slovenia
3: all mountain well if you're in the mountains it's all pretty much the same from 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 france all the way to slovenia the mountain people are all the same it's the same food same type of culture uh and whatnot um yeah i've got one spot left uh on the uh, checkout Brno tour uh that's again it, that's the bad boys tour you want to hang out with the guys and, and have a bit of fellowship a bit of drinking and, and, and get rude and talk about girls you know that type of thing
2: yeah you better get your skates on if you want to go this year just one spot on that one um, how many sorry i was gonna say how many tours do you have a year four or five
3: we've got we've got eight eight different packages this year one of them one of them is actually poured them out and Portugal runs uh, this late October, November. Wow, awesome! I'm going to be posting up next week what I call the Portimao Track Snack, which is just uh, hotel and track bike and track fees.
2: That sounds exciting. So if somebody doesn't
3: want to do the the road tour; they just want to sneak in to a country, do some track time, and sneak back out again. That's
2: interesting. Good idea, because some people haven't got the time to take. Yeah, up.
3: it's it, it is the mo- it is very expensive because. Still because the most expensive part of my tours is the track stuff, but if if that's what somebody wants and and they don't have time to do tour in the country, which is a shame because Portugal is just going to be fabulous, but you know if you don't have the time you don't have the time, you still want to ride Portugal, I'll help you out.
2: yeah, it's a fantastic opportunity and not something you can easily arrange yourself. All of these tracks that you go to the trouble of booking i mean they're all they sound like they're all the big name tracks
3: well yeah i mean i've've i I've, I think I've got twenty eight rooms booked at the race resort uh in Portomelo a lot of times what happens is is people like oh I want to do this and everything's booked up I've I've, met, I've got reservations I've I've got stuff ready to go Spanish P- the Pyrenees to Aragon um is happening in September and October I think we've got maybe like two or three spots left for that one
2: right well I think the best thing is if I just put a link because it's people won't remember which tour is when yeah no you basically I w- have a look and also you know make sure you have a look for next year because it sounds like you get booked up pretty quickly
3: well but again some of them some of them have a lot of space like the italian dream we've got plenty of space on the italian dream i could squeeze some more people into this spain tour portugal is just starting to book up now we've got seven people on it we'll probably end up doing a, a total of 15
2: and do you offer any sort of track training any improvement for your riding while you're there
3: yeah actually for for most of these tours actually all of them this year we're working with troy courser and and his coaches um, at the track first to learn the lines and then work out um, what issues you're specifically working on they'll video you while you're riding and you'll go over and look at it and and then you've got Classroom Theory with Troy Corsair uh, himself. And it, yeah, no, it's it's you go home a better rider and you'll go home a better street rider as well.
2: I didn't realize. So he's there on every event.
3: Yeah. Well, this year he is. Sometimes sometimes we just do track. You know, do, we just rent track bikes and do track time. But this year we've got all stuff with Troy.
2: Wow. What an opportunity.
3: Yeah. No, Troy's, Troy's a good guy. I like working with him. Uh, and again, his his people are uh, uh, Marcel and Marianne and all the all the folks there. From they're from the Netherlands, Netherlands and Germany. Yeah, very cool uh, people <laughs> who insist on having peanut sauce with their fries.
2: I've never heard of that. I've heard of mayonnaise.
3: It's because they're Dutch, and I've, I finally finally figured out it's because they're Dutch and they spent a lot of time in Indonesia, remember, the Dutch East Indies that's where they picked up the peanut sauce and they brought home the peanut sauce and the the dutch are just crazy for it and that's what they dip their fries in
2: well you got some interesting information see i wouldn't have known that and i haven't even been on a tour (laughs) (laughs) so has there been anything happened that you wish hadn't happened did you have a kangaroo jump on your head or
3: (laughs) i've narrowly missed a few wallabies narrowly missed a few wallabies uh i haven't killed any any any, i haven't killed any animals on tour yet other that's good to hear regions of bugs behold i am death i am destroyer of worlds i have flown through so many bugs huge giant bug just outside of lucerne switzerland i don't know what got out of its cage but it 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 hit me hard i had a bruise on my chest for for a week afterwards i don't know what the hell that bug was (laughs)
2: <laughs> maybe you were just going fast and he was going fast and it was impact speed <laughs> and,
3: and this was a pretty solid bug there was a lot of there was a lot of shell um splattered all over my all over my gear
2: <laughs> so i've got another question do you have to you take your own gear or um is that something you can offer
3: actually i've every rental fleet for the street that i've ever seen every time they offer gear you wouldn't want to be in it right it's always it's always the cheap stuff, the bare minimum stuff. And sport touring riders, for the most part, are pretty safety conscious and they want to wear quality stuff.
2: Yes, well, because you're moving to from country to country, that would be a difficult one. I and it's, yes.
3: Yeah, but that's it. Um, one of the best places to shop for motorcycle gear is Germany. It, huge, huge shops, fully stocked. You know, you'll have seventeen different types of boots in all sizes, ready for you oh, to wow. try on. Yeah, you get these those type of things at a Polo or a Lewis Motorrad. They are fabulous places to shop for gear. And because of German quality standards, which pervades every aspect of their culture, even the cheap gear you buy in Germany is pretty good stuff.
2: Interesting, yeah.
3: Yeah, they, they won't, allow, won't allow it any other way. Uh, then the question comes up, you know, should I bring my own track gear or can I rent some? Uh, I encourage people to bring their own, even though it's kind of a pain in the ass to, to do it. I mean, you've got to have a separate bag for it. You load it on the plane, you know, and then we, we, we put it in the luggage truck and it stays there until the track day. Uh, but one, you paid a lot of money. Uh, to, to some people, this is nothing. To other people, it's quite a bit of savings. It's all relative. Uh, but you've paid you've paid some money to be there. On the day of, you kind of want your gear to fit and you know your own gear fits. Sure. Um and the second thing is you're getting photos taken of yourself, you know, and you want to go back and show your buddies. Oh, that's not you. That's somebody else. <laughs> that's not your gear. So you kind of want to be in your own gear, you know, that has your name on it, you know, that type of thing, your, your crazy yes. helmet, whatever it might be. So, yeah, I encourage people to bring their own gear, but we've, uh, we, you know, we've, we've gotten some some folks who will rent the full kit of gear, you know, boots, gloves, helmet, everything uh, provided you, you know, have a normal Denise size. Uh, we can fit you in.
2: So back to the party tour, does that mean that you're partying more than usual? I mean, I know that sounds like a strange question, but (laughs) words stuck in my head. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What do you all get up to? um, um. (laughs) Or is it?
3: Not really allowed to censored. say. I'm not really allowed to say, really, because then then uh, somebody will be listening, and their wives won't let them go. Oh, right, <laughs> okay. We had one of those guys on tour that just, you know, the guy who just won't shut up. I know, I know, I can be guilty of it, but this guy continued talking, not even realizing whether anybody was listening to him. And the the problem was, this guy would share stuff way too personal because he, he, this is this is day three and he's run out of things to talk about and you start finding out about you know the hemorrhoid that wouldn't go away or or the fact that his wife left him his wife of 70 has left him okay now now the picture's starting to come clear The guy so insecure that he needs to hear himself talk he needs validation that much. So it was at that point I turned to I turned to my tour guy. I said, Matthias, when we get to Chemnitz, you're getting this guy late. He's like, No problem. It, there's this horrible tiny little brothel. But you know, the next day, I mean he wasn't he wasn't a hundred percent, but it was definitely better. You know. You know, and, and then you know, then then of course it was my turn. I had to take him out uh, when we got to Munich and twisted Bastard went back for seconds. Things were backed up, apparently. Um, so, I mean, we, we found, uh, we found uh, well, two, two different women that, that, that certainly filled his trousers. I'm doing a public service here because now the world doesn't have to listen to this yammer on for ages because all he really needed was to get laid. I'd like to think I, he went home a better man than he was when he came to us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so It sounds like it's more boys fun.
3: It's definitely <laughs> boys' fun, that or, one. or 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 women, or women who have no problem with boys having fun. There's plenty of women who are like, oh, that's fabulous, they and they they want to hear all about it. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> Whereas other other folks are different. And, oh, it's just oh, it's just guys being guys. If, if you're yeah. a woman and you can hang out at the track with a bunch of guys and you absolutely love it, then this is not going to be a problem for you. Thank
2: goodness we are all different as well. Well, that's just my opinion. I don't know if you're allowed to say that these days.
3: <laughs> I don't know why more. you don't see more women um, at the racetrack uh, in the United States. You see more more women in Europe uh, at the racetracks in the United States. But for women, it's a, it's a very welcoming place. There's mm. only... You might run across the odd baby boomer jerk who's a you know who's a misogynistic prick, but those are pretty few and far between. Really, well, most of the time, I was like, "What? There's a girl here? Oh, great!" <laughs> you know, it's, you know,
2: it's increasing. It's increasing. Yeah, quite rapidly in America. You'd be surprised. And I, I went to Yamaha Champ School, and oh, they great. have a lot of yeah. It was fantastic. Words cannot describe made such a difference to my riding
3: yeah I've taken a lot of different courses uh I learned the most in two days from Yamaha Champions Riding School than anybody else
2: I was astounded by the caliber 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 of you know instructors just didn't expect that yeah
3: very good instructors but what impresses me the most about Yamaha Champions Riding School is combined with that caliber is a humbleness they're not they're not like i'm you know, th- there's not a lot of ego there they're like we're fellow writers just like you and this is what we've learned and we want to try to teach you
2: very genuine you're right
3: yeah they're trying to help you out by teaching you stuff instead of you know having it be some you know odd messianic thing where you must worship me because you know i'm this great racer and whatnot no you've got yes t- you've got true champions there cody wyman i just saw him at the am expo cody wyman he's, he's you know junior cup champion from Moto america and he's he's an instructor there kyle wyman king of the baggers champion chris paris i think holds the lap record at a couple of places nick ironis no slouch either he's probably quick and uh, i have there's no way I can keep up with Keith Culver on Magello. I've seen it. I've tried. He's really fast,
2: yeah, and I had a special treat. I had Freddie Spencer there as well, so oh fabulous. It was just awesome. I mean, I was just gobsmacked um and their attitude, as you say, very um humbling, you know they yeah. really do want you to improve, they're really into uh, Um, helping the motorcycle culture helping people stopping people dying on the roads as well you know new riders who who go out and try things because they don't have any knowledge of how the bike really works or reacts
3: we have uh, we have a good relationship with Yamaha Champions Riding School oh right this year um, Isaiah Davis uh, who's one of their senior coaches he will be joining us on the Italian Dream Tour and this is Isaiah's first time in Italy and he's losing weight before the tour so it's everybody's job on tour to fatten them up
2: (laughs) so is he losing weight because he wants to eat all the italian food exactly
3: yes he is because he knows it's going to be good (laughs) Uh, and he's actually looking for one aspect the thing i love the most about italy is dinner uh, it's the ritual of dinner and it's the socializing and the food it's it's a four-hour ritual of alcohol and food and conversation and and isaiah tells me there's something very similar in puerto rican culture and he's actually really looking forward to that aspect of the tour. is is the socializing and 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 the the, the trick is to carry the perfect buzz for four hours while you're eating and laughing and it is <laughs> it's, it's, it's a contest so yeah isaiah will join us for the italian dream tool Uh, in September and then uh, Keith Culver is joining us for the Spanish Pyrenees
2: to Aragon. That's fantastic Yeah. Yeah. so you must have quite a variety of people who end up getting together you must learn a lot of life stories about sort of a variety of folk who yes
3: yeah um, I can think of like one guy that always sort of pops out I mean uh, on the on the Czech tour this year the bad boys party tour uh We have an industrial uh marijuana grower i mean grows a tremendous amount of weed um, legally uh here in California. uh We have a concrete inspector for the state of Florida. Um, we have an aerospace engineer who'll probably be very interested in talking to the uh, industrial weed grower. <laughs> Um, aerospace engineer who's working for the government, I think, I think he's, whether he worked for NASA now he's working for Blue Origin or, or something like that. And then we have, uh, retired, uh, Green Beret Special Forces.
2: Wow. Yeah. That's very and that's special. And, and,
3: and we have, and we have one space left. <laughs> Who wants to go for a fun trip with, with some I interesting you're, guys. I think you're gonna
2: get a take a away after that sort of, uh, conversation. <laughs> yeah. No. What a group to mix with.
3: Uh, it, Give me a good uh, gonna be a good group of guys. I'm actually looking forward to the, the, the Green Beret uh yes. again I've toured with him before. Uh Ryan is his name, and uh he's uh like all of those guys, he's he's a bit he's a bit beat up. He's seen a lot of things that you probably didn't need to see, but he's a really good guy, and you know that you know that Ryan's got your left flank.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure.
3: Yeah. He's there for you. He's, 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 you know, battle loyalty, he, he, there's something special about those guys. Um, another guy I often talk about, I've had on my tours uh, is his name's David. Um, and he's one of the rarities in the world when it comes to the super rich in that he knows, uh, he got lucky. He's run a good business. He's passed it on to his kids. He will occasionally sneak in and do a, a 3 AM shift with somebody. In the company, just to see how things are going. You know, he he genuinely cares about his employees, uh, and he has a ridiculous amount of money, and he has no problem picking up the check because he knows he got lucky. And he's just a genuinely kind and nice individual. I always love having him on tour because he has—he's such a—he's so different from your average, you know, one percenter. Right. Which is nice. It's nice to know those people actually do exist.
2: Yes, yeah. And is there a country that you want to take your travel tour to that you haven't been to? Yet? Oh, absolutely!
3: I've got two of them. Two of them. All, all I need is track bikes. Um, I've I've already done tours in Thailand, uh, and I want to do. I want to go back again because it's my favorite country for lunch. <laughs> the average Thai person eats seven times a day. But they eat small, uh, small like snack dishes and whatnot. In fact, the Thai greeting, a um, uh is not hello. It's um, have you eaten?
2: Oh, really? I didn't know
3: that. It's it's that important. It's that important in Thai culture, and it is my favorite food. Uh, and the Thai people are a perfect culture for hospitality. Um, I remember, you know. Riding in after lunch one time up on the up on the Mekong River, uh we we took a boat ride just to go up and down and, and relax and see the country instead of you know having to concentrate on the bike, you could actually go on the, go on the boat. And I'm looking across the way, and there's a man there harvesting rice. I don't know if you know what harvesting rice. Is. he's basically he's got a big bunch of reeds in his hand. And he's beating them against the ground in the hot sun. And I'm thinking, I'd put a dress on and head for Bangkok as soon as possible if this were my job. <laughs> it's just horrible, backbreaking work. But he sees us in the boat, riding along, and immediately he waves his hand and smiles vigorously. Hey, hi. And that's Thai people. In order to brighten a Thai person's day, it's their job to make somebody else happy. In order to cheer themselves up, they they want to make somebody else happy.
2: What a great concept!
3: And it means that as a culture, they are the perfect culture for hospitality because um, they're so wonderful, warm, and helpful. I mean, you walk into a Thai a Thai owner shop, you know, it's you know, the, saudikarb, you know, how nice to see you. Please come into my shop. How can I help you? They're they're perfect for hospitality. Hotels, bars, restaurants, and many other things you might imagine. They're actually the great people, for country visiting. So uh, I'm eager to go back to Thailand. And
2: the food is healthy. They're they're quite high on vegetables, aren't they? Yeah.
3: And actually, one of the great things, like going through Bangkok, uh, there is a street vendor who sells to other street vendors. He goes back and forth with a cart of fresh herbs and fresh vegetables and spices and whatnot, and he keeps the other food vendors supplied with the stuff they need.
2: <laughs> well wow,
3: it's, it's that big of a deal I never eat in the hotel uh when I'm uh, when I'm, particularly when I'm in Bangkok I immediately go out into the street because you can see the food cooked cook, cook right in front of you you know you know it's good whereas what's happened in the back of the hotel uh, you know.
2: <laughs> who knows and over your traveling um career as it were do you know how many countries you've been to or you don't oh, geez, count? I haven't I haven't really Just wondered.
3: counted. Oh, it's it's nothing impressive, really. It's probably only something like 20 or 25. It's nothing. Well, there's people who are much more adventurous than I am. I'm running tours in some pretty, pretty easy places to me.
2: Look at where you are. I mean, this has gotta be. The dream job really
3: well you know, i get that a lot <laughs> everybody thinks i live this fabulous life you know uh, bouncing <laughs> from country to country
2: you do well you look so well and relaxed and groovy you look like you are having the life i'm using my
3: liver and passport as i, I i'm using my liver knee pucks and passport um <laughs> um it's no it, there's a lot of stress involved of course because you know, anticipation and dealing with uh you know clients and problems and bookings and all that no it's 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 a full-time job um you know and, and thankfully i've got help i've got some good guides um uh, my wife uh, operations manager nancy handles a hell of a lot of the paperwork uh in clients lover
2: i mean the opportunity to, to go on a track and have troy calls show you around geez that's fantastic yeah you
3: know troy's great uh troy's, troy's really good fun and funny <laughs> bit like i have a great photo of troy troy does two ups you can you can write on the back uh, with Troy uh which wow. my wife has done and I told her it's the, the fastest you'll ever go because I can't I can't keep up with Troy even when he's doing a two-up he's just wicked fast he's he's a really good rider uh but but Troy this is the type of guy Troy is he's two-time world superbike champion and somebody asked him hey Troy can you get on the back of this bike and, and post, post for me you, like your passengers like oh yeah sure you know and he and immediately you know makes his face like he's scared to death and you know it's just all a big <laughs> laugh and a joke to him he's not filled with ridiculous amounts of ego Yeah, you know, it's great
2: he's... he sounds like a good guy well but that's
3: typical Aussie really if you have a chip on your shoulder in Australia the Aussies are the first ones to knock it off
2: <laughs> that's true <laughs> I've lived there for a while and I can confirm that is a fact
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: Okay, well, um, you know, we'd love you to come back and have have another chat another time. And, you know, we're sort of winding down now. We've been chatting for a fair while now. So um, let's talk a little bit about fear, because people sometimes hesitate or they get anxious about riding, about doing things for themselves, about riding for their dreams, as it were.
3: Yeah. I have a big thing about fear, and really it's because most of our clients come from the USA, and the, the funny thing is it's it's the hardest to get them to travel internationally. Um, Americans, for the most part, um, don't know much about the rest of the world, and that ignorance often scares them. And that fear of the unknown keeps them from not only learning new things. It stops them from having some really fun, amazing experiences. Um, And often Americans don't realize how extreme our culture is when it comes to individualism. Other cultures place a lot more uh, emphasis or importance on other people. I mean, if you behave yourself, um, you'll be surprised what a warm welcome you'll get um, in in other countries where people genuinely do care about how your day is going. Uh, It's not a a thing about being polite. And the irony is this fear of the unknown, the, the traveling you know, going someplace where you don't speak the language and whatnot. This this comes from a group of people who are pretty good about fear. You know, the irony is this is somebody who is carefully trail breaking into a into a third gear turn, you know, at about 110 miles per hour. This is not somebody who should be intimidated by travel.
2: Right. So you're talking about the fear of going other places. I mean, America is vast, and I think in a way that sort of keeps people locked in. It does. You know, the USA is huge. And so there's lots to see, lots of riding you can do here all over. Um, but I can say from experience, there's nothing quite like going to somewhere in Europe and really seeing how tiny the roads are and how different people's attitudes are.
3: Yeah, well, it, it's really surprising getting people, I get a lot of people out of outside the United States for the first time. And the reason they've come is because I've lured them with the prospect of riding a motor GP circuit. And a lot of times, you know, halfway through the tours, I don't even have to ride the motor GP track. This, this is great. I'm having the time of my life. Um, and really, it's about showing people that, well, track riders, we're used to conquering fear. You practice. You practice. You have a plan. You, you learn. You know, you, you get stuff done. You, you train for danger. Rather than fearing it, well, you know you can do the same thing with travel. you just learn about what you have to do, and you have to help some people here and there get through some serious culture shock, but on the whole, everyone goes home a better writer and a more knowledgeable person about how the world works. They return home different. their perspective has changed.
2: I would agree, I think it gives you yeah a different perspective as much as you um See in films little differences you know you have your mail here delivered at the end of your driveway and in london it goes into your front door and onto your mat (laughs) in your home little things like that and until you actually experience them you don't get that true feeling of perspective
3: yeah
2: or you don't notice them maybe you see these things happening in films for instance but you don't take them on board so much
3: yeah in germany you've got to punch your ticket you buy a ticket on the subway and you have to punch it but there's no signs anywhere telling you to punch your ticket everybody just knows you're supposed to punch your ticket people just know right but there's no gate yeah there's no gate blocking you from getting into the subway there's no security gates or anything it's just you just walk in (laughs) but but nobody you have to punch your ticket because if you don't punch your ticket even if you're holding a ticket the police come through from time to time and they get you for black riding, you have to have a oh. ticket punched and if you don't it'll cost you like 60 euros or something
2: because they think you're yes you're not paying for your journey exactly
3: you know it's just
2: a little thing it is fascinating yes little things awesome well thank you so much for joining us i think it's been a real um interesting chat and <laughs> i'm hoping a few people listening are going to go i'm gonna do that <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, Italian dream, uh, and, and that one slot left on the checkout Bruno to come, <laughs> come party with the boys. Yeah,
2: that's awesome. Thanks very much. You have a good day, Kat.
3: Cheers. All right, thanks. I hope to talk to you soon.
2: Cheerio.